This is Sunglasses at Night podcast. Uh, once again, don't, no idea what the episode number is. I'm going to say 16 or something. Sure. But the year is 1997. 97. Fantastic. What a great year. Um, look, it's we're, we're fast approaching the end of the millennium, but not just yet. Not just yet. Um, so still got a couple of years of 90s action to go. Uh, big news this year, Tom. Hong Kong. Returned to China. It did, yes, it did. So they had 99 years of good times, and <laughs> then after 97, a few years of probably all right times, mm. and recently, um, some shit times, and I predict yeah. it's going to get even shitter, so I don't <laughs> Pity know. Pity about that. Look, took, it took a bit longer than people predicted at the time. I remember people at the time were trying to figure out whether it was just going to immediately get turned back into full-on communist state, but... Took about 20 years, and now we're back into that sort of action now. Look, can I just say, Tom, on the record that I am pro-Hong Kong democracy. I know that means that this won't show up on uh, (laughs) uh, Chinese iTunes or WeChat or whatever the fuck it is they have over there. So, unfortunately, sorry Chinese fans, you probably won't be able to listen to this anymore unless you have like a VPN or can hack the system or whatever, because um, I know that making any sort of pro democracy, Hong Kong, mm. Taiwan, Tibet stance um, yes. gets you kicked off. Uh, this will be eliminated from the Chinese internet. Yeah. Oh, and also, um, the chairman of their country looks like Winnie the Pooh. Don't say that, Tom. We don't want to get doubly <laughs> kicked off. Um, he does look like Winnie the Pooh. I forgot to say... Sorry. sorry. No, no, sorry. Go, I forgot please. to actually say that this is Sunglasses at Night, oh. the podcast where we look back at a year in musical history via the Australian Recording Industry Association charts, also known as the Arias, and ask what the hell was going on. Correct, Just exactly. Always Just to get that in there. That. Um, we, have a, we have an Instagram page now, Tom, Ooh. called Sunglasses at Night Podcast. Um, and on there... There's just, I just post a photo of something of where, the year. If people want to look at the YouTube links for the songs, where can they get them from? Uh, the links are to, they attached uh, to the podcast? They are, yeah. Oh, cool. In the in the podcast yep. description, there's a. I've done it on YouTube because I feel like um, you're probably going to watch. Well, you yeah, need no, to no, watch. Yeah, no, no, it makes videos. sense. And some of the podcasting sites don't let you don't attach the whole the yep. text thing anyway so. um, and on the uh, on the Instagram there's a uh, there's a link tree and on that link tree one of the links is to the YouTube so, oh, cool. it's, yeah. so it's just got all the playlists from 83 up until now so you can watch all the great videos um, Boom Shake the Room Boom Shake the Room Joe Benotti <laughs> exactly right you Joe can, Benotti Rasta style yeah for sure Snow um, Informers on there all, Colette all, that's Colette. actually a pretty good one yep all the hits she's, she's wearing washing up gloves <laughs> I think in that music video I believe Colette is but yeah so all the videos so yeah so um, I think podcasts do like some social media bullshit that's about as much as we're going to do sure can't be fucked but um yeah just look at that if you want and so there's some other shit on there too to some links that are just I don't fuck who knows what do people do I'm not sure what we're doing though is talking ARIA charts mm. uh, 
Before we get into that, biggest film of the year, Tom, I believe was uh, MIB, Men in Black. Ah, uh, yes. Um, yes. So that was the biggest box office of the year, I believe. It took in half a billion dollars, a bit more than that. I think, I can't remember exactly what it was, but they, it was, it represented some sort of unprecedented level of um, public relations slash publicity thing. Oh, okay. I mean, there'd been movies that were promoted heavily beforehand but that was this it was like a new, they'd used a new team or something like that and it was just this worldwide massive publicity blitz on on tv oh, for yeah. months beforehand not just showing the trailers endlessly but showing like making of docos about okay. it and promos with the stars on the set talking about and then they tried to and it was so successful that then they tried to do it again with Wild Wild West. Oh, and that was and that demonstrated that as well. <laughs> you still need a film that's not shit yeah, to, exactly. to, to make it work. It also demonstrated something that you know was handy to learn at the age of nineteen, which is that if you watch four hundred different previews for a film when the film comes out, you won't enjoy it very much at no. the time because you will have seen all of the good parts recently. Yeah, before. exactly. You've seen so, it yeah. all. Yep. So I'm sure millennials learn that from the womb these days. <laughs> Don't <laughs> a bit slower for us. Just watch no no trailers. <laughs> I think it's probably the way to go. So yeah, look, that was the biggest film of the year. Um, Titanic did come out in December of 1997. So. Little bit that next, next year, year it'll be. I mean, that film was. I think that played at the Village Four in Launceston for about twelve oh months, God. which is unprecedented. That was crazy. It was just. It was, it was like just the unreal. fucking seventies again, where Star Wars had played for a year or some shit. Exactly. Weird. So it was completely crazy. So yeah. But anyway, we will get to talk about Men in Black a little bit later on, Tom. I don't want to give away any spoilers, but um, <laughs> I think that that the theme song also titled Men in Black, may feature later on. Sure. So there's a little bit just um, for the listeners there, just to whet your appetite, a little bit of that, <laughs> something to look forward to later on. That's what they do on the radio, don't they? Like, coming up, uh, we've got a Roxy mm. triple play. So they sort of whet the listeners' appetites. That's what we're doing. Coming up, there'll be Men in Black discussion. So I don't know. If you don't want to know about Men in Black, then you'll probably just skip it. So I think knows? you might have just unlocked one of the problems with the whole radio station idea of doing ads. Doing ads, yeah. It's <laughs> no, of saying coming, coming up. Because if you don't want to hear it, then it's like saying, turn the radio station off. And if you do want to hear it, it's uh, annoying because now you know that they're not going to play it for half an hour. You've got to wait 45 minutes to hear Joyride. It's like, <laughs> I mean, Spotify fucking exists. I can listen to it right now if I want to. <laughs> who listens to the radio in 2021? I mean, who the fuck has people, any time for the radio? I can't. People who uh, have been trapped in a 7-Eleven during a zombie apocalypse. Yeah, that's I true. When the only thing to listen to is uh, two different, slightly one-second delayed versions of Nova playing from oh, either end of the store. Jeez. Look, um, if there is a zombie apocalypse, I hope I'm in Coles because I thoroughly enjoy Coles Radio. We've, we've mentioned it before. We don't have a sponsor for this show, Tom, but if Coles came knocking and said, we'll give you some money, um, I'd talk about Coles Radio, not for the money, just because I genuinely enjoy their, their hit mix of yesterday and today. Um, I personally <laughs> prefer Chicken Feed Radio, which is yeah. basically Cliff Richard songs interspersed with chicken feed ads, chicken feed which ads. involve a chicken screeching at you in a high-pitched voice. Yeah, yeah, I know. I miss Chicken Feed, R.I. The only um, thing better than Chicken Feed Radio was Chicken Feed Christmas Radio, which was Cliff Richard's Christmas songs interspersed with 
ads for chicken feed featuring yeah. chicken screeching at you and jingle bells. Look, if you don't know what chicken feed is, it's like the Tasmanian equivalent of like the reject shop or like $2, two dollar shops. Um, but just with the most <laughs> fucking obnoxious ads that have <laughs> existed. It's just that chicken song. And it's just, mm-hmm. oh goodness. Anyway, um, unfortunately they went out of business. Um, well, they, I think they, they shut it down <laughs> of their own accord and now they have shiploads, which oh, is an okay. even wackier sort of... <laughs> You know, play on words, I guess. Uh, uh, yeah, it's good. It sounds like shitloads, but it's sh- shiploads. It get it? Works on. It works at a couple of levels, I guess. So it does. Yeah. Anyway, it's pretty good. So next time you're in Launceston or Hobart, just mm. um, yeah, pop on into shiploads and ask them well, what happened to chicken feed. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You will be let out of the shop. Walk out and disgust. Yep. Yeah, for sure. So look, um, 1997, let's get into it. Sure. First two weeks of the year, we've got uh, two more weeks of the Spice Girls wannabe. Yes, 11 weeks in total, but most of them were last year. Yeah, we talked about it last year. Look, um, I think one thing that slipped my mind last week, Tom, was that we failed to talk about girl power. Uh, yes, So yes. Spice Girls are all into the girl power. Mm, um, mm. But I remember in the early 90s when um, girl power was sort of more of like a alt-rock, bikini kills, sort of the right girl. The right, right, girl, girl. right yeah. girl. They seemed like a kind of popified version yeah. of that. So right, yeah, right girl was sort of, yeah, I've done, yeah, right girl and girl power, not quite the same thing, but yeah, right girl sort of, yeah, they're sort of trying to embody that, that image of, you know, power, women power, and also at live music gigs, you know, trying to, you know... Yeah, get, get rid of the shit. These days, we just hate fucking cunts at mu- live music media <laughs> venues that try and touch chicks' cans. But yes. in the early nineties, it seemed that people Apparently just assumed it was fair. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so yeah. Anyway, the right girl was sort of you know trying to promote, I guess, just safe spaces for concerts and you know yeah. make it feel it like also, a more. It was also mixed up with the sort of the second wave feminism yes. thing idea of just like anything dudes can do, girls can do exactly. as well. So if you want. If all the punk bands are all misogynist pricks near you, then start your own punk band and exactly. go up. But don't don't complain about it. Go on stage and fucking rock out and yep. you know. And if guys are attacking you in the crowd, then bring a baseball bat. Indeed. <laughs> I'm not saying it was a flawless system. No, no. But I kind of admired it. I liked its sort of straightforward ballsiness yep. to it. So the Spice Girls took that and then just um, stripped away any sort of yes. meaning or mm. actual desire to promote I guess certain ideals and just would run around going girl power what does it mean oh girl power as several uh, of the older kind of feminists around at the time pointed out they every public appearance they dressed in sort of (laughs) fairly minimal (laughs) clothes which often when not actively sort of you know sexualizing for their audience of tween girls largely but also could be taken as just a way of selling outfits and looks and haircuts and that sort of thing in it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Really, have you ever seen Josie and the Pussycats? I have, yeah. That's really funny. That whole film is kind of about that idea of like, it, it's, it seems a bit passe now because bands, the idea of an all powerful music publishing, publishing company seems a bit ridiculous. Now. <laughs> yeah. There's a whole bunch of 70s and 80s films that are based around that idea that, as well. Yeah. The, the Apple, that whole thing is about a music company <laughs> that takes over the world. There's a fucking. That feels this, fucking bananas. Watch this 80s really cool, well done cartoon the other day, but the whole. Again, Empire whole Records. <laughs> Empire Records, yeah. The, these fucking the man's out of control, he's he controlling is. your life, and he tells you how to think, and he tells you how to dress and stuff. Exactly. But anyway, but yeah, the, Josie and the Pussy Gats sort of the end of that, and that features that whole concept of. Like it, it's to the point where it quite cleverly takes the piss out of it, and almost every scene in the film has 
advertising in it at a subconscious level is in the idea that all of the bands are selling something whether they want to or not just yeah. where they're standing and what they're doing any time. anyway exactly so look I and guess yeah. so if you want to know what Spice Girls Girl Power was it was just them saying Girl Power it was no deeper pretty much and I guess you could say the basic menu thing of wannabe of just that idea of like your friends are more yep. don't sell out your mates for some dickhead boy which is kind of I yeah hoes before bros hose I before think bros, that's yeah. what I did so absolutely. I forgot to ask last week though yep. uh, who was your favourite Spice Girl Oh, look, that's a really good question. Um, probably Scary Spice. Mm, um, yeah, I think so. I think, I think probably because, um, you know, she had a child with Eddie Murphy. That seemed pretty, <laughs> pretty good. She seemed like she was having possibly the most fun. Out yeah, of exactly. I think pro- I probably like Scary Spice um, the most. So I quite like Gassy Spice. Gassy Spice? She was tough to share an elevator with, but she was fun at parties. <laughs> was that... No you... underwear spice. She was quite good too. Yeah. Um, I, I think that was just Jerry Halliwell, wasn't it? I think. <laughs> it's from the stories last week, I believe. Didn't they just steal each other's underwear and throw it out the window? So... <laughs> They might have all been underpants. Well, Scary Spice is definitely not wearing a bra in uh, Wannabe. They, that, like, it's obvious enough to the point where so, like, it was in one of, on the Wikipedia page. For, with the, we were talking about the video. It said it was really fucking cold in that building, which had some sort of unintended results. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, you know, so if you're wearing a crop top in a tiny little building, in a freezing cold old stone building running around England in the middle of winter, maybe wear a bra, I suppose. Yeah, but look, that's girl power, Tom, isn't it? You know. Mm. You don't, the man, you, don't, you don't want to listen to us right because you've so it. Yeah, yeah that's exactly, right. Exactly right. So I think maybe there was a bit more to girl power than I sort of acknowledged. So apologies, Spice Girls. So. It's good to see that I'm being super pervy on the first song of the year as well. I'm sure that won't continue through the year. Oh, it will right. with the next song, Tom. That's uh, <laughs> Savage Garden to the Moon and Back. Wowzers. So um, that's this is the first one for this year. New song, One Week. Um... Look, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what I like about Savage Garden, Tom, I'm going to tell you right now. Mm-hmm. These dudes, they showed up out of nowhere, no one had fucking heard of them before. Yep. They came along, they released some songs, had some hits, they were fucking everywhere for yep. about two years, you could not avoid these guys, they were all over the place, and then they just fucked off. I know, I know, right? It's crazy. They they couldn't, it's, it's just two dudes, Darren yep. Hayes and the other one. Uh, uh, Daniel <laughs> Jones. Daniel Jones, not Daniel Johns. That Daniel sounds Jones. too much like Daniel Jones. They, they yeah. could not get arrested in Australian music publishing. It, they sent out like 150 tapes until they found one guy who believed in them enough to release one single, which was that Chica Cherry Cola song, whatever the fuck that's uh, called. Oh, yeah, yeah. My friend Erica had it. Um, Ooh, I want you That one, yes. And then they only had two albums, yep. two albums. They were around from 93 to 2001 in total, so eight years or less. Yep. And they sold 23 million fucking albums. Yep. Two dudes from suburban Queensland somehow... Yep. Fucking hitting like you know, absolutely, Tom. And yeah. you, and you say Lady Gaga sales figures two records. And you say ninety three to two thousand one, but this what we got to realize is that the first four of those years is just them trying to get the record deal. Yeah, like them actually right. being in the public. Con- oh, yeah, probably wasn't until this song. Yeah, so um, that, that's from when they met to yeah, yeah. when they oh, broke exactly. up. Like the, so, yeah. I reckon there's probably about four years, 2000, 1997 to two thousand two thousand one, where yeah. they were active. So, and I absolutely respect that. Um, there's nothing worse than someone coming along, making a bit of a bang, and then just being total dog shit for 20 years. You know, just mm. they come along, one song, and then they just stick around, overstick their welcome, they burn up all their goodwill, and you just have to listen to that bullshit in supermarkets for 50 <laughs> years. I hate that. 
So respect to Savage Garden. Good on you guys for just getting out um, when you're at the top of the game. Um, what bands do you wish just came <laughs> along for one album and then fucked off into eternity Two forever? Albums. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was thinking maybe, seeing as what the effect that fame seemed to have on him, yep. I was thinking maybe it is a good thing that Morrissey and the Smiths oh, yeah, were only course. around for four albums, about this same length of time, but yep. they had four albums instead of... Well, people two. used to release an album every year, I think. In yeah, the yeah, so that's right. <laughs> but, but, you know, like, you know, just fame doesn't seem to have a salutary effect on some people at <laughs> yeah look you're right I think um, this is probably the first time anyone will compare the Smiths to Savage Garden but certainly they both existed in I that think, short period of time I think people especially in the 90s this again this is pre I mean it's not pre-internet but it's pre-internet music sales yep. really You, if you're not from Australia you may not understand how fucking crazy it was that this happened like it had been like nearly a decade at this point since the big 80s Australian bands yep. and it, like you know men at work and stuff and that had, was looked at now as a fad that this publishing fad Australians had been briefly popular in America music mm-hmm. and then they'd gone away and now nobody gave a fuck and you would have the occasional outlier like Kylie might pop up or Bruce Samazan perhaps you know who later <laughs> went on to become a world striding musical colossus but, um, but generally they went the way of every single other person off Home in the Way e.g. they had one and a half singles and then fucked off there was no X Factor back then no. so there was none of that shit so for two suburban dudes to just go you know what we're gonna sort of almost semi self publish ourselves and then get on a plane and fly over to America and sell 23 million records yep. and then yeah it, it was just literally unheard of like you, you know absolutely right so look Tom to answer my own question um, Maroon 5 oh, okay. I, uh, I wish Sorry. that they probably oh, definitely. just do- like stopped uh, I mean not that they were good to begin with but I think that you know those guys Coldplay sure. I wish that Coldplay just too quit enough. literally <laughs> like, after one or two songs um, and the Black Eyed Peas yes. I, I, before Fergie joined the band yeah they, they really <laughs> needed to give it away because those guys are all the bane of my existence um <laughs> Because I still watch Rage with my kids of the uh, morning, and you won't hear them for, for a while, and then all of a sudden Maroon 5 will pop up, and there'll be like four songs in the charts for about eight months. Um, Coldplay, they've always been terrible. Um, Black Eyed Peas, they're garbage. <laughs> and I'll add Ed Sheeran to that list oh, as well. I, it'd be good if he just gave it no, away. That's after two albums too many. For, yeah, for absolutely. Sure. So look, that's who I think. Look, what I like about this song, Tom, is that you know, Savage Garden, they're musical historians. You know, they know what they're talking about. They look, they, they draw from the past and channel it through their own thing and then project it into the future. So they knew that um, proclaimers would walk 500 miles mm-hmm. and then they'd walk 500 more to be at your door. Savage Garden said, we need to up that state. Yes. We can't just say we'll walk, you know, 1,000 kilometres, 2,000 kilometres, <laughs> 5,000 kilometres, you know. So they're mm. saying, I'm, I'm going to the moon and back to be my baby. So mm. they've really fucking stepped it up to that. Don't I don't man. think... Can anyone top that? Well, not even Richard Branson can offer no, that service. exactly says, right. Yeah. Exactly. So, you know, I don't think anyone's <laughs> going to be able to really sort of... If someone says, oh, I'll go, I'll go to Jupiter and back, people will be like, mm. nah, man. I think that Savage Garden, they've t- took it to the, to the nth degree, <laughs> sure. to the end level. We've, you know, humankind have never been further away from mm. Earth than the moon. So... Savage Garden have done it. They've taken it as far as we can go. So, look, um, so those lyrics, they work for me, I think. Sure. I don't know much about the rest of the song, but (laughs) hopefully that you have got some uh, musical highlights for me later on. What I will tell you, though, is that this song has three fucking music videos. 
three different music videos that mm-hmm. I was find out. One of them, they're performing on a spaceship, and there's like a cyberpunk element to it. And let me tell you, it's dog shit. Um, it's also in black and white, so you know it's very artistic. So that video. Then there's another music video where they're just walking around the streets, mm-hmm. um, and Darren Hayes has long hair. And then there's a third video where they're walking around the streets, but Darren Hayes has short hair. <laughs> so it shows the full spectrum of their work. Long hair, Darren Hayes. Short hair, Darren Hayes. Spaceship. That's probably the spaceship I assume that they're flying to the moon on. I guess that's the sort of connective tissue there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, don't really know. So uh, what do you think? Um, <laughs> <laughs> no. I think I prefer the cyberpunk element one too because that yeah. was a big theme in the oh, 90s definitely. the old uh, for sure weird I think their previous video had a kind of trippy yeah I think they're a bit wacky thing. but they, they love a, they love a few versions with different haircuts I think now look Darren Hayes he from what I understand he has quit the music business to focus <laughs> on improv comedy is that a wise move well he is Legit funny, I reckon. This is the weird sort of cognitive dissonance I have to have to indulge in to appreciate Savage Garden. Yep. On the one hand, their self-made success and self-belief is just truly staggering. From all interviews and TV spots and panel shows and personal experience with their music, I think about 95% of Australian musicians, through a combination of sort of realism and the innate Australian fear of just having tickets on yourself and yep. being too fond of yourself... Just act and work and talk and live with the concept that success just isn't any sort of realistic goal. Yeah. They just kind of, doing the work is joy enough. If you get a bar tab or work with a cool producer and make an album, that's the reward in itself. And in some ways that is good. Like, it's not a bad lesson for an artist. But in other ways, like, well, to quote Oscar Wilde, we're all lying in the gutter, but some of us are looking at the stars. Mm. And Darren Hayes was that dude. And he was right. Not only did he reach the stars, he reached the stars with the help of only one other dude, yep. put the cash in a van, and then fucked off. Yep. And yeah, he's also, you know, handsome, he's really funny, and seemingly quite aware, self-aware, like in his interviews. He does a really good solid Twitter burn quite often, because people obviously give him shit about yep. being in Savage Jardin, so he's come to terms with that. But he also wrote some of the shittiest lyrics of all time, yeah. and I don't really like any of their songs. Oh, look, so it swings yeah. and roundabouts. Swings and roundabouts, Tom. But I think that's it. You're right. He doesn't take himself too seriously. Mm. I've heard, I have heard that people give him shit on Twitter, and he just goes, "Well, I don't give a fuck. I've got heaps <laughs> of money. Why should I give a shit?" Yeah. And yeah, look, I think that's the thing. So the music itself is, is you're right, total garbage. But I think as a person, I do like him. Yeah, he seems to have managed to maintain... Maybe that's the trick of pop star- maintaining your sanity with pop stardom is you just do it for four years yeah, and then, and then you, give it away. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. And then, Take whatever money you've got after four years and then and then you get to have it leave, keep your sanity instead of turning into Mariah Carey. And- yep. I mean, he Darren Hayes could probably go to the supermarket and not wouldn't necessarily get recognised by a certain. I reckon he'd get recognised, but he wouldn't get mobbed. No, you know, he wouldn't get some. You might someone from New Idea might take your photo, but you're not going to get stalked every day of your life by people who want to know who you're hooking up with or whatever that shit. You know? Yeah, exactly. You could get drunk at the pub without worrying that someone's going to take your photo. And you know. yeah, but is improv comedy the worst type of comedy? 
this. Oh, oh, you really meant improv comedy? I thought you were just talking about him being a smartass. No, 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 oh, no. I, I, no, I legitimately improv. mean that um, <laughs> if you go onto his YouTube account, there's him of like doing improv comedy. Like, what's the deal with t-shirts? Oh, okay. So um, maybe not that, but yeah, he definitely he moved to the US after quitting oh, and went to okay. LA or something, and oh, was yes. focusing a career on improv comedy. I think there's a lesser known variant of COVID nineteen in Los Angeles area that causes everybody who gets off a plane there to believe that they should get a career in improv comedy, even, <laughs> but, if, the, even if their larger career is in telemarketing or, yeah. you know. But look, he doesn't, he doesn't need the money, um, so obviously it's a bit of fun. And also, that, these guys haven't reformed, so obviously they did very well back in the day, because oh, yeah, a lot totally. of these groups, after eight years, it's like, we're never getting back together, and it's like, fucking hell got to get the pool you know resurfaced or something let's get back together for a tour but not these guys so that's pretty good he has had he was in other bands since but none of them had any of the sort of success but yeah oh look um 10 Arias they won in 1997 they were nominated for 10 Arias so they won a lot so look obviously sold a lot of records people really love this as well oh my god imagine how satisfying it would be to come from your I've seen this once or twice recently with uh, Australian comedians, not the rare occasion when an Australian TV person will go overseas and have an HBO show like, you know, Josh, what's his face, or the, you know, Mr. In Between, or the, the yeah. Kates and stuff. How satisfying it would be to go overseas, win heaps of awards, then come back home to the place where the fucking industry wouldn't give you the time of day before you left. Oh just, yeah! Just quietly, just sit there while they give you awards for yep. this shit. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think Even so. If it's like Kath and Kim or something to just be able to go. You know. Oh. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's it. You watch something like Mister In Between, and the dude had like given up and moved to a Chuka to be a taxi driver <laughs> or something because no one would give him a chance. Mm-hmm. And then America picks the show up, and it's definitely one of the, yeah. the better Australian yeah. shows I've seen in the last decade, probably. Or Flight Very, of the Concords yeah. or something, where you basically go from busking to be on HBO <laughs> yeah. in New York. Exactly. <laughs> So, look, interestingly, um, Darren Hayes uh, publicly came out as gay in the early 2000s, um, but he was married to a woman at the time and was struggling with his sexuality um, when he was writing this album. So a lot of the lyrics, I think, deal with that. When asked if any of the songs in Savage Garden's category, sorry, in catalogue contain any sort of coded gay messages or anything, he said, look, I Want You is a song about a dream about being in love with a male energy and waking up and feeling sad that I knew there was a part of me that was missing. Now, imagine that conversation with your wife, Tom, when you're sort of like, <laughs> you, you come at your marriage, it's like, I've got something to tell you, I'm gay. She's like, look, okay, I pro- you know, I maybe had some suspicions, I'm not sure, but okay. So you're leaving me for another man. Well, not exactly. I'm leaving you for a male energy in a dream. You remember that song that I did that was about Chicka Cherry Cole? Yeah, it's about it that. That was, turns so, out I'm in love with that song. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm not leaving you for another person, just a general sort of male <laughs> energy from a dream, kind of like, like I don't know, like Ghost or something. Like, is that a male energy? <laughs> Patrick Swayze in Ghost, I guess, something like that. Mm. So you'd be like, okay, my husband's gay, that's okay. You know, I understand that we're different people now um, and we're going to go our separate ways, but just getting left for, like, male energy, that's that's <laughs> a hard blow, I think. That's probably... Yeah, that's tough. I don't know. I don't know. But anyway, look, I think she's probably doing all right because I assume that, um, look, she probably got a good settlement off the Savage Garden cash mm. or something like that. Mm. I don't really know. But, look, anyway, um, yeah, look, 
male energy. It's good. I like it. It's fine. <laughs> Female energy. All the energies are good. I like all that shit. So um, energy in general. What uh, you've talked about how bad the lyrics are. Are there any highlights? Lyrical uh, highlights for well, this? Well, just his lyrics in general. That sort of. It kind of comes back to that that cognitive dissonance mm. I was talking about. Um, he said about this song, uh, Darren. How he said. I love Blade Runner. I wrote it from that point of view or the idea of what it means to be human, the idea that yearning to express your emotions and your feelings and for that to be legitimised. There was also someone in my life whose persona was very standoffish and who pushed everyone who loved her away, but I could see underneath that hard shield there was so much pain and all that stuff that I identified with. Mum never loved her much. Daddy never kept in touch. These are things actually bothering these person, mm. bothering this person, which is, you know, quite observant and, you know, empathetic. But then you read the lyrics and they're like, she can't remember a time when she felt needed. If love was red, then she was colorblind. Mm, this is what I'm talking about. Yeah. <laughs> also, I have to say, there's a song they did called Compassion in the Jungle, which has to be... Would, I would put that in the top five of worst lyrics of all time. Compassion in it's the Jungle. It's truly, truly appalling. Look, I'll check that out. I love terrible lyrics. But look, yeah, you're right. I read another quote as well, Tom, where he said, um, I wanted people to understand that, yes, this is a pop band, but it's an intellectual pop band. <laughs> yes, we have pop melodies. Yes, we have pop progressions. But we're saying lyrically something more <laughs> that's a bit clever than, oh, I want you. He's clearly forgetting about the no, single before sorry, this, Jared. which is called, <laughs> oh, I want you. Oh, I want you. That's literally one of the other songs. So he's shitting on his own lyrics from the previous single. So I think even he realizes how bad it is. But it's is this an intellectual not, pop band? No, that is not what they achieved. This is about as no. intellectual as a Dan Brown novel, I think. <laughs> no, he with. should have said the opposite. The yep. opposite would have been to say, look... We didn't have the smartest lyrics of all time, but we wrote really catchy songs, and I think that's all that matters with pop music, really. That would have been... That was the old Oasis defence, you know? <laughs> Just, oh, absolutely. It's all about the fucking tunes, man, when people yep. would say, how come these lyrics sound like you read them off the dry-cleaning instructions off a denim jacket? Tunes, yep. man, tunes! Which is all the more power to these guys. They sold 23 million albums, um, yeah. only released two things... Very, very successful. Yeah, the lyrics were generally like dog shit. Exactly. So, Catchiness, I guess. Abs- the, yeah, the but definitely catchy thing. songs. Look, um, and let's not forget um, Daniel Jones. Um, you know, I feel for that guy because he effectively just stood five metres behind Dan- Darren <laughs> Hayes keyboard. In, in photo shoots for about eight years. Hey, hey, so, he gets the even better end of the deal because nobody knows what the fuck he looks like. He can, so he's got 10 million in the bank and he can go to the pokies and... Get yep. drunk. <laughs> oh, he can definitely go to the Fall supermarket over. and people just sort of, you know, he probably gets asked occasionally, were you the guy in silver chair? And he's like, for fuck's sake, no, I wasn't. So, um, so Savage Garden, they've got 4.4 million Spotify listeners. That's pretty good, seeing they haven't released anything yeah. in 20 years, so good on but them. They only had two albums. Yep, so that money, that revenue is still coming in from Spotify. I'm sure Darren Hayes is still getting a check for $18 a month, so something like that. And um, you can buy this for two cents on Discogs, probably because there's a trillion copies of it out in the wild. Um, I'm going to play a game, Tom, where I'm going to try and find as many of these CD singles in op shops (laughs) as I possibly can. Um, Just earlier this week, I found a copy of uh, Los Del Rio, The Macarena. Oh, wow. Yep. I can't imagine so many of those. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there'd be a trillion of them. So I'm going to try and find as many CD singles from the 90s as I possibly can. So that's good. Um, all right. What up next is uh, Silverchair Freak. Ah, uh, yes. From the album Freak Show. Freak Show. Which is their number two. 
Absolutely. So look, this is the difficult second album, um, Tom. You know, obviously they sure and, and sophomore it, album, sophomore album, and it must be hard to have to record and release the difficult second album when you're 17 because it's sort of yeah, they're still kids here. You know, the first yeah. one came out when they're like 15. This is only two years later. Um, but look, obviously they've matured as songwriters, matured as, as lyricists, and look, I think that when Daniel Johns was probably because he was the, the the prime songwriter for the band, I'm mm. sure he came in and said, you know, look, I've got a, a new lot of songs. It's time that we put these to tape, release. That second album he comes in he, he starts playing the band this song I think this is the first single I think one of the first songs that they wrote um, so he comes in you know the band ask him you know they're interested in what these songs are about so Darren Hayes yeah. sort of comes up sings the first line no more maybes I'm sure the band is like yeah no you know it's no <laughs> more maybes we, we, we want to be definitive we want to know what we're doing we're sick of politicians and adults and, and people around mm. us you know being so indecisive and we're tired of that maybes we want decisive action we want to move forward I love this song great next line the baby's got rabies okay <laughs> what the fuck are you talking about Daniel I think at that stage the band were like what what, what comes next I'm sitting on a ball in the middle of the Andes mm. now these lyrics are fucking woeful <laughs> are they worse than those Savage Garden lyrics or no more maybes the baby's got rabies I'm sitting on a ball in the middle of the Andes he said it was about something he saw on National Geographic Channel or something like that but, okay but I mean why he felt the need to put that in a song yeah look I don't know but is it also maybe the song's called Freak so he's just singing <laughs> about weird like I'm a freak I'm going to sing about this weird stuff so maybe it's sort of self-referential in that way um I don't know. Um, yeah, look, I'm not sure. I'm not, I don't know. Look, it's just me, Tom. I'm, I don't know. I think I, I like. I don't know what the fuck it means either. <laughs> but don't worry about that because the the rest of the album has some some stellar lyrics. It's not you know this song. You might look at it and go, "This is no good." But what else has he got? There's another song on the album that features the lyrics. So come and join the masturbate. So he gets a wank joke in there. So. They've really matured in the songwriting and the lyrics. They've really moved on. They've I mean, done a pretty good he job. He is still a teenager at this point. We're yeah. probably lucky that half the songs <laughs> weren't about nicking cigarettes from someone else's dad and downloading JPEGs of Pamela Anderson on a 56K modem, I would say. Um, yeah, I, I'm a big fan of the album's front cover, which is an image, it's a painting of Grady Styles Jr., who was a sideshow performer afflicted with Ectrodactyly, who used the stage name Lobster Boy. Oh. Because he had kind of, you know, yep. lobster hands. Lobster hands, yeah. I always like the picture. It's quite a witty, it's quite a witty image, I reckon, because it's just his head. He's just a kind of chonky suburban white kid. Yep. And it has the curtains around him and it says freak. So you sort of have to know that he's a freak to know that he's a freak. So, yeah. I and like I, I think, um, did that same artist that did the cover for that do, I know all the singles, I think, from this album, all that ah, sort of similar... Yes similar styled sort of artwork. So I guess they were aiming for that sort of that hand-painted yeah, 50s poster. Exactly, for sure. So I think, you know, from, from that point of view, the the album cover and the other singles and the other artwork sort of tied in well with that, I think. So that, yeah, that was pretty good, definitely. Look, uh, look, to be honest, this is the hardest number one song um, <laughs> on 
this year and probably yeah. the whole decade. Well, um, this is '97 now, so we are definitely post-grunge. As we're post-grunge, yeah. So the heaviness of the charts is backing away down. Again, I don't think we'll like, hear a song as heavy as this for the rest of uh, the time that we do this podcast not, time not until for the a day pop I die. No. So because it's the number one song on the pop charts, he's tuned the guitar down a bit. Um, he's clearly influenced by bands such as Helmet. I'd say some of the harder grunge bands with a sort of Black Sabbath influence. Just sort of Alice yeah. in Chains, Soundgarden, that sort of stuff. So it's definitely like a sort of heaviest style riff. Um, Daniel Jones is a vegan, apparently. So oh, okay. it's a shame that he wasn't listening to um, uh, vegan hardcore bands like Earth Crisis, because I feel like <laughs> if he had have combined some of that into that into this song, could have made it a little bit more harder, sure. um, a little bit heavier, and I could honestly see someone getting spun kicked out of a window to this song. So I think it's pretty tough. I yeah. like it, um, just how hard they were able to make a number one song. But you've got to realise that this is 1997, Tom. New metal is huge at this stage. So Superchair, it's a tightrope walk. Um, this song, you know, you're talking an alternate rock band that's trying to play a, some songs are a heavier style of music. Yeah. So your contemporaries are some pretty terrible new metal bands at the time. So look, <laughs> you know, it was good that they were able to write this song that I think is pretty catchy because two wrong notes... And um, you're opening for Super Heist on the Crank the System tour, I think. <laughs> that's so true. that's it's you know it's it is a very fine line between this and Daniel John starts oh. rapping or he's like goes <laughs> to the, the Family Values tour or whatever the mm. fuck that shit was in America. Or so Ben Gillies is up the back using a turntable instead of drums. Yeah, exactly you know. right, exactly. So yeah, look, I, I think this one's pretty good. Um, the I video. I dropped out of Super Heist uh, when their last tour was called Don't Call It a Comeback. Don't do I was that. like, okay, I won't. <laughs> I won't call it a comeback. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> I shan't call it a comeback. <laughs> look, uh, yeah, I feel bad for that kid that was wearing that T-shirt <laughs> that got beat up at a Sepultura concert. Oh, but look, that's unnecessary. It is unnecessary, yeah. So look, um, the video for this is kind of cool but weird I remember watch, I seeing it on Rage so it's them them playing live uh, yeah. in, and there's all those heaters like really oh yeah all the it's really like heat. they're in an oven yeah and an then they're sweating oven. a lot yeah. and then the, so they collect up all the sweat mm-hmm. and then they go and inject it into a lady in another room uh, and then she turns into an alien and yeah. then flies back to her home planet <laughs> so it's pretty weird but it's very I think it's one of those videos that um yeah, it's not uh, terrible. No, it's not terrible. I definitely remember seeing it as a kid and going, "This is kind of memorable because it is sort of like, oh yeah, they're sweating and they're going to use the sweat for something." But then at the very end, you just like going, "Yeah, I didn't see that coming." <laughs> so, um, power to them for doing it. Uh, look, I think as time went on, they probably got a little bit more away from the sort of um, grungy sort of style and sort yeah. of got a bit more progressive and changed a bit um, and probably became better songwriters as they got a bit older. Look, I think. By the time they'd released their next album, their third album, they're probably still like twenty years of age. So it's pretty yep. impressive. So yeah, good on them for that. But what I will say is that uh, anthem for the year two thousand on the next album is one of the worst songs I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> so watch out for that. I don't think we get to talk about it on the podcast because it didn't get to number one. Don't hate that song, but I haven't heard it for a long time. Oh, it's so terrible. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> sure. I mean, you're right. He was definitely evolving in real time. It was kind of interesting to watch at the time, if not always to listen to. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, some might say that they could have taken the Savage Garden approach and just fucked off after two albums with gigantic cartoon bags of money with dollar mm. signs drawn on the side with like notes falling out as they ran away. 
but they didn't. They they did try to improve. Or yep. Daniel John certainly tried to evolve as a songwriter. Like you say, there's only so long that you can do the whole how chunky could we make the chorus song song yep. structure thing for a while before you start going fuck it. We've got to you know let's let's evolve a bit here. Yep. But I reckon I think this was their last big album in America. Yeah, like I think Frog Stomp and this that was kind of the end of their American success after this they still he still had plenty of hits in Australia but yeah, yeah I think um, you're right I think they probably tried to go a little bit more progressive a little bit sort of so yeah. that he, moving away from the trends because the trend at the time was um, as we will see in two years time uh, Woodstock 99 came along Tom oh, and yeah. the Americans wanted that, that was pretty that. much the last gasp of grunge if yep. there ne- needed to be one it was so, new metal and grunge sort of putting a bullet in the last yep. that that sort of slightly hippie-ish idea of grunge of it still being about you know the people on the ground and you know fucking yeah. man and stuff like that but I think Daniel Johns is sort of one of those sort of um, characters that probably you know when he's playing live if they're playing the sort of harder heavier songs and he looks out at the crowd and sees the sort of you know jockey frat dudes like <laughs> punching on he's probably like maybe I don't want to do this anymore like yeah. I have a feeling that and it's well, like a lot of Kirk artists Kirk, Kirk, yeah exactly similar. and I'm sure there's a myriad of artists that sort of play a certain style of music and you look out in the crowd and just be like oh the people that you know gave me a hard time at high school and now my yeah. fans so I need to make a musical shift into something Dave else Dave Chappelle too in comedy yep. similar sort of thing like yep. there's a weird thing I guess only famous people could understand that but the idea yeah looking out and seeing your fans and going fucking hell is this what <laughs> is this who likes me what does that mean yeah exactly <laughs> exactly so and look I've always I've always found him to be a sort of interesting character he seems yeah. to be someone that um, uh, like I think he said recently even I read it maybe a couple of weeks ago that he said yeah Silverchair's never getting back together so if mm. you you know we don't need to retrace the odd steps you don't need to see it live if you didn't see it the first time it's over and I think he's just sort of quite happy to go and pursue other musical endeavours yeah. and presumably there were only three of them too so presumably yeah. they made quite a bit of money they oh, no don't doubt. need to well exactly um, the drummer's wife is uh, a psychic so she's bringing in her own <laughs> cash or revenue stream as well so which is pretty good um, and Daniel Johns he can make a couple of hundred grand every year when he has to sue the Daily Mail or something for <laughs> saying that he lives in a brothel so yeah for sure loving the brown showers but apparently uh uh, it's all just made up. <laughs> like the Daily Mail. The well, that was one of the accusations. That oh, he, yeah. yeah. That he used to hang out at that, uh, <laughs> that specialised specialized in brown showers. <laughs> yeah, that was right. So I think there was an implication that it was like <laughs> Daniel Johns, he's always at this brothel. They specialise in brown showers. <laughs> you know, you join the dots. He's like, I've never fucking been there before. So look, um, that's good. So yeah, massive respect um, for him because he, he did a bit of a savage garden in the sense that he sort of hung it up while things were still good. He didn't, like, you know... Yeah. He could be still doing Silverchair now if he wanted to, right. and I'm and sure it'd be mean, diminishing even returns. On, like, for a guy who grew up looking a little bit like and being obviously very influenced by someone like Kurt Cobain mm. and, a lot, and a lot of those other, you know, the early grunge singers and stuff, he seemed commendably sane and stuff like that. I think he... He struggled with mental illness a little bit at the start, as you yep. would if you were in his position. I think just the fame hitting you pretty yes. quickly. No, it was like body image. He was yeah, like true. Born anorexia, anorexic or yeah. something. But yeah, but other than that, I mean, he seemed to... He came out of it pretty well unscathed, which is not bad. If you can be that successful 
as a 17-year-old and come out of it with while still alive and without ever, ever having gone to rehab, yeah. then you're doing, you're doing pretty well. Yeah, and I'm not sure exactly what he's doing right now, but one can only assume that he's sitting on a ball in the middle of the Andes, Tom. <laughs> so, um, and he well, has he no is ch- a bit of a freak. Yeah, definitely. He's, he's a freak of nature. Um, <laughs> and look, he has no children, but if he did, I assume that they would have rabies as well. So... <laughs> Um, oh, he's, he also used to be married to Natalie Imbruglia. Oh, yeah, that's another which I little completely side forgot about. Yeah. For sure. I remember I was um, in Queensland the day that they separated and it was announced and I found a copy of the local newspaper, <laughs> The Courier, and it said, The Day the Music Died. <laughs> uh, which I think's the same headline they used when John Lennon was assassinated. <laughs> yeah. what, what's worse, Tom? Putting it out there now, what was the worst event? The assassination of John Lennon? Or the separation of Natalie Imbruglia and uh, Daniel Johns? Uh, Natalie Imbruglia, for anyone who doesn't know who the fuck that is, she had one hit yep. that was a cover of an older song, and she used to be on Home and Away. Neighbours, I think. She's not Neighbours, yeah. <laughs> yeah, look, I don't know. I think John Lennon had a pretty good life, so he probably by the time he, yeah. he was on the downward spiral by the time yeah. he was shot. So, look, I, mean, I think. Who remembers that guy, really? Oh, Barely, you know, I'm, I know his son Julian. I think he's featured a couple of times in the podcast. I'm familiar with that, but yeah, certainly I think that if Daniel and Natalie had have stayed together, they could have done some pretty good seat, like work together. I think mm. sort of, um, yeah, it would have been nice. Maybe she could have joined Silverchair and could have been, you know, another vocalist in there. <laughs> well, they so. just hung out with Bono and Peter Gabriel, hung out with Bono and Peter Garrett on yep. a big bed smoking a joint. That's true. They also did that as <laughs> I well. I like to so. imagine they're still there now. Absolutely, absolutely. So look. Um, 2.1 million listeners on Spotify and 51 cents for this, which is up in the... In, yeah, you know, it's surprisingly high. Um, are there any lyrical highlights? Uh, mostly the song is sort of boring and one note is something like Creep by Radiohead. Yep. Which is, you know, I mean, imagine, imagine if that had been... If they, if they had a one hit with that, like, which they nearly did. They almost... Radiohead yeah yep. and then you'd be cursed to become famous with like the worst song that you ever did yeah. I reckon that's just about the worst song they ever did and it was a hit fucking hell yeah. anyway so yeah it's just all I'm a freak I'm not cool blah 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 but there's one, there is one verse where he says try to be different get a different disease seems it's in fashion to need the cold sore cream yeah it's true he's our age which makes him a by the way most people measure it a very young Gen Xer yep or you know, and I reckon this is a this is a un, unintended message to the millennials from Daniel about defining yourself by the thing that makes you different, and then you just become as boring as everybody else, you know, by being a freak, you know. Yeah. I'm. I'm. Yeah. I'm choosing. If you want to be generous to this song, I think you could say that that it's about identifying yourself as a freak and then just becoming, you know, yep. that becomes you just become as dull as everybody else. For you sure. know, just and which coming at the end of the grunge era where everybody had to be an outsider and a yep. freak, and you've got people like fucking Eddie Vedder pretending that no one liked him at high school when he was just a normal yep. guy who was, you know, played soccer and shit Nobody like that. Because yeah, you had to. It was just de rigueur. Yeah, exactly. and I think that's. I think that might be what he's talking about. Here. Yeah, yeah. It sort of it was like if you were the quarterback in the football team and you were cool, then it's like you couldn't be a grunge yeah. rocker. You had to sort yep. of. Which I think, um, you know, Scott Whelan from the Stone Temple Pilots, um, I think he might have copped a bit of shit because I think, uh, you know, he, he <laughs> was like, like, rugby he was like the cool guy and like played <laughs> yeah. football and I think everyone liked him. So I was like, he can't be a grunge rocker. He wasn't, he was too popular. Um, 
So yeah, look, absolutely, all those things that you said, Tom. Um, yeah, look, I think uh, interestingly, um, I think with with these guys as well is that obviously they had such a successful career early on, and with the lyrics that you've mentioned, I can only imagine the sort of shit that I was churning out at seventeen in oh, English yeah, class. Absolutely. You know, absolutely. Oh, you got totally. you got to write some a sonnet for your English class. And, I'm going. And that this shit is, wasn't even catchy. Like no. at least this is kind yeah. of like singable. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that's probably what. And I think Daniel Johns has even come out and said, "Look, you know." This is shit that I was writing when I was 17. It's pretty cringy. But you guys get to hide that stuff. No one's looking at your old English essays or English shit that you had to write. Mine's out there forever now. So people are looking at my 15-year-old lyrics and going, these are terrible. And it's like, yeah, I was 15. What did you expect? So anyway, so look, power to that. I shouldn't have shat on these lyrics. So look. Oh, no, no, you're right. They're not great. I'm not saying they're good. I'm just saying, like, I think that's what... If he's saying anything, I reckon that's what he's saying. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Cool. Um, all right, so that was uh, two weeks for that one. Up next is uh, No Doubt, Don't Speak. I forgot this was such a big hit. Eight weeks. Eight weeks, yeah. This it was, was their forever. first impact in the Australian charts. Yep, absolutely, yeah. Although they, had, they did have a hit with Just a Girl I'm earlier. Just a, yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, so Just a Girl, that was, I think, the single before this one off the album. That was pretty popular, but uh, not a number not one number hit, one obviously. Um, so look, unlike Silverchair, who were massive by the time they were 15... No Doubt started in 1986, but didn't really break out until Tragic Kingdom, the album that this song came off, which was released in 1995. And this song actually hit number one two years later in 1997. So they released the album two years prior, had a few other singles, the Just A Girl one that you mentioned, a few other ones that were sort of popular-ish, but then this one came along and hit number one. So... Look, it just goes to show that, yeah, power to them for sticking with it, you know, because it took 10 years before they sort of really mm. broke through. So a lot of bands don't last that long. Um, just a Girl uh, reached number three in Australia, so that was pretty big. Okay. But this was also the first song that Gwen wrote without her brother, Eric. Stefani. Mm. So perhaps I should have kicked him out of the band like 10 years ago. You can't help but notice that by comparison to mm. Just a Girl and some of the other songs of this album... This is less punky and more poppy, and yep. I'm thinking because they were they were starting out as like a scar scar band. type thing. Yep. So maybe the reason that it took them so long to get popular was that they were just better at being a pop band than a shitty and they scar. Left. And they should and she's obviously given the fact that she went off to have her own enormous pop career. Yeah, exactly. Maybe she actually had better musical instruments than them. Yeah, uh, better musical. Um, uh, what am I thinking of? Instincts that yeah. they did, and they should have just let her. You know, do it earlier. So they got rid of the bride. It can be a mixed blessing. Sometimes when that happens, you end up with a Fergie situation. (laughs) Shit, nobody wants that. Nobody wants that at all. Exactly. So look, um, the brother. Interesting side fact: he left the band to become an animator on The Simpsons. So there you go, for sure. Oh, I hope made him happy. Yeah, so anyway, so apparently Eric Stefani, he originally wrote it as a love song, but then it went through a couple of rewrites, Gwen modified the, the lyrics, and it ended up turning into a breakup song about her and her ex-boyfriend, um, Tony Canal, who um, ended their seven-year relationship around the time that this song came out. So, bandmates, the bass player from No Doubt, Gwen Stefani, together for seven years. Okay. They break up, writes this song about that, and then it becomes a big hit. So that must have been a weird sort of thing, like the <laughs> fact that the breakup, they needed the breakup for them as a band to become popular, yeah, but then their relationship isn't together anymore. So look, 
I imagine that even after the breakup, the band was able to stay together. So it must have been pretty tough, but obviously they would do that. Um, and probably pretty rough for Tony as well, because you got to realize that after the breakup, obviously, you know, they're going to start seeing other people, but they're still mm. seeing each other every day because of, you know, being in this band. Oh, so, you, you know, imagine Tony when Gwen's like, oh, I'm seeing someone new. And he's like, oh, you know, okay, yeah. You know, I'm not seeing anyone yet. And she's like, oh, yeah, look, I'm really happy with my new boyfriend. He's like, oh, okay. Oh, you get to meet him one day. He's like, oh, okay, yeah, that sounds good. And then, you know, one day Gwen Stefani shows up at band practice and she's like, oh, my new my new boyfriend's coming later today. And Tony's like, oh, great, I can't wait to meet him. <laughs> and then, you know, finish band practice. The dude shows up and he's like, oh, it's that fucking cunt from Bush. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right, of course. So they yeah. end up getting married. So that... It just seems so awkward. He's just like he, the guy from No Doubt's like, for fuck's sake. And then, you know, in walks the bush guy and he's like, oh, guys, great practice. Can, can I just have a bit of a play? And they're like, oh, fucking hell. So then he just picks up the guitar. Don't let the days go by. Glycerine. Just making like really hard eye contact at Glenn Stefani. Glycerine. Don't make the days go. And the rest of the band are just standing around going, fucking hell. And he's like, glycerine. So... And that's, about, that's how it exactly went down, I imagine. And that's just fucking awkward for anyone. Yeah, the dude from Bush awkward. showing up, playing Glycerine to Gwen, and everyone else is like, just fuck off. You're like fake British yes. grunge bullshit. I think his parents were doctors. That's, that's not grunge material. You've got to be the uncool kid. Yeah. You, have to be, you have to grow up in adject poverty and be the uncool kid. If your parents are doctors, you've got no place in grunge, but obviously Gwen Stefani didn't care. They were both extremely attractive. Oh, yeah. He, he's he's, he's so hot that he in, in the film um, Constantine, he literally plays an angel. He plays oh, a he? male angel. And Gwen Stefani is like, she was like, you know, this 90s pin-up girl, you yep. know. <laughs> yeah, I mean... Absolutely. And, and even then, and after this, she who is she going out with now? He's even worse. Uh, some country and western guy. I think she's yeah, married to a country singer or something. Dickhead or some shit. I don't know. It's just, yeah, I don't know. But anyway, Maybe look. Maybe she should have stuck with the guy in the band. She should have stuck with the bush guy, I think, definitely. <laughs> so, um, no, the guy from No Doubt. Yeah, if should have stuck with the guy from No Doubt. think if anyone had learned any one thing from the 60s and 70s, apart yep. from never wear bell bottoms under any circumstances, it's don't fuck your bandmates. No, exactly. For fuck's sake. Exactly. Fuck the guy running the lighting rig. Yeah, for or sure. The, you know, the guy who hands you guitars. You can, you know. So, look, I'm just happy that they were able to maintain a professional relationship in the band once I'd split up. Because, <laughs> um, yeah, you know, look, I think that once they got rid of the scar, they had a couple of uh, pop hits that, you know, yeah, I'm fine with. Uh, you know, I don't hate on these guys. Um, Gwen Stefani as well she's got some some bangers Harajuku girls Tom have got that wicked style um, you may be familiar with that but look I think no, no doubt's popularity was assisted um, just, like this is obviously where they got big but before this you know they were sort of um, in that kind of I think you mentioned th- sort of third wave of Scar in the early 90s yeah. rising out of the punk scene and look, I was a teenager at the time and what I can tell you is that um, I fucking hated it um, and I mean nothing <laughs> Nothing outside of a UB40 cover is worse than Scar covers of pop songs. <laughs> Nothing is worse. That was that really shit popular sucked. for some reason. Yeah. yeah, like something like Real Big Fish doing Aha Take On Me. There like, whole, fuck that. There were whole albums of Scar covers of 
pop, pop songs for some pop, reason. Pop goes scar or some crap. I, I live so with a guy. I live with a couple of guys who were into that sort of scar punk stuff. Yep. For a while, not 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 to a, not to the extent of playing in a band or anything, but yeah. You know, I don't know if I was a fan or not, but we used to have uh, skanking parties at yep. the share house where I lived at the time. I'll credit Scar with teaching me two things. Yeah. One, any party looks classier if you make everyone wear a jacket and sunglasses. Yeah, that's, that's true. Even if it's a four sizes too big <laughs> op shop jacket and a pair of Oakleys you found on the ground that's outside absolutely. a service station. Yeah. And, I mean, the Blues Brothers were onto something there. And two, if you need to destroy your carpet in an emergency, get 20 teenagers to skank on it for three hours. Yep. Skanking, if you don't know what that is, it's essentially running on the spot while sliding your feet yep. along the ground. So, yeah. Definitely. If you get 20 teenagers in DC skate shoes to do that on your white shag pile, you'll which is it. what we had in that you'll, you'll fuck that carpet up hard, absolutely. Yeah. Even if they are wearing a classy jacket from spot... From fucking the salvos, <laughs> for sure. So yeah, I think that there's probably some good scar out there, Tom. I'm, I've just yet to hear it, so um, <laughs> certainly not covers of pop I songs. Mean, some of it was some of it was well played. You know, they would have a proper horn section and shit like that. Some oh, of it yeah, was, yeah. and a lot of it's quite fast and very tight. But yeah, yeah. If All you I'm, don't if you don't like it, you don't like it. I'm thinking um, Area Seven song "Nobody Likes a Bogan." <laughs> um, bottom five song of all time, any genre. Um, so remember, the, yeah, around this time, fucking. Mighty Mighty Boss Tones became really big too yeah. for a while. They had that one song in Chasing Amy and then that yep. took off on the radio somehow. I think so, yeah, yeah. that sucked as well. So um, <laughs> the album, this sold 16 million copies. Fuck. So yeah. I think that once they, you know, toned down the scar and got a bit more pop, they yeah. were on their way forward. So they're doing pretty well. Well, uh, Madness, they were in the sort of second jar wave. Yep. And they, that was kind of like pop scar as well. They yep. had plenty of pop radio hits you know yeah yeah yeah, yeah that's probably a bit more fun um it's not for me still but look i'll give them credit where credit's due i think people do enjoy you know they're fun songs oh i'm not i'm not arguing i'm just saying they oh, yeah. they did a more pop version of Definitely. that stuff and they were huge as Definitely. well at the time so this song didn't chart in the u.s um this is because oh, really? well only because um this was at the time in the late 90s we've talked about this i think last week and probably a little bit more this week we'll get to and i'm sure in the future where the u.s uh, record labels were saying we're not releasing these songs as singles you got to buy that whole fucking oh, album oh they were still doing so that what, fucking so thing, they're yeah. releasing a music video gotcha. and it's going to radio and yep. people are hearing it and then it's like where can I buy this it's like well it's not available as a CD single got to buy the album so this one didn't chart in the US just based off that because it wasn't available to buy um, but I guess they, they must have generated more money off albums so they did, just yeah. gone well it's a bit well an album was like 18 bucks or something whereas a single probably costs like 2 or 3 dollars I don't yeah. know but can't you just yeah I don't know I, I'm not going to go and buy an album if I've heard one single and liked it I, I don't know maybe maybe I am no. maybe I would I don't know but yeah look anyway um, to show how tuned in they were at the time to you know what was happening uh, a cartoon version of No Doubt performed this song um, on the animated TV show King of the Hill in 2001. Oh, so they, they appeared as themselves. Yes, yeah, in animated nice. form. So there you go. Do, do, does anyone know what King of the Hill King is? The yeah, Hill. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I don't know if anyone knows what it is in this day and age. People are too busy watching the new animated I shows I've King got. King of the Hill, the only reason I keep seeing it in the public consciousness is from memes. It still gets used in meme form. 
sometimes. Okay. Hank Hill doing, you know, various uh-huh. bits and pieces. But yeah, that that's yeah. about it. Other than that. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. So 6.7 million listeners on Spotify still to this day. Sure. A lot. Um, Gwen Stefani has 12 million by yeah. herself. She's fucking just going crazy. She had a huge career. Absolutely. Like this, at least for a few years yep. there. And uh, two cents on... on uh, the Discogs, because they would have made a shitload of these in Australia. In other countries, it was only US that didn't have um, the version for CD single. Now, lyrics, highlights, uh, anything. Yeah. I think her lyrics were more fun when she was on her own and she just went silly. Well, that shit is bananas. B-A-N-A-N-A-S. Yes, exactly. So that was way more fun. <laughs> Holler back, girl. Makes no sense, but at least it's fun. I see yeah, that every day. That's right. Um... On these older ones, which have a bit of more of trying to have a bit more social conscious message, she generally picks a simple idea and hits it on the head. Some might say that she also knocks it over, kicks in the ball, stomps it into the ground, and reverses the cement <laughs> truck over it. But that would be mean. As you yeah. said, the songs, most of the songs on here, half the songs on this album are about breaking up with her partner. Yes, which, yeah, as you said. Um, so you get things like our memories; they can be inviting but some are altogether mighty for opening. Uh, Whereas even Darren Hayes would have said, could we maybe lose the adverb there in that <laughs> last line, love? I think. But um, yeah, hey, look, I don't feel bad about taking the piss out of her because she went on to have massive success. And this absolutely. was like the first stepping stone in that. So good on her. For sure, yeah. Harajuku girls have got that wicked oh, style. That hollabacker, that shit is bananas. This, there was a really fucking catchy one off their last album, the one after this, which was like more like her stuff, but I can't remember what it's called. Can I always knew you'd end up my ex-girlfriend? It's, it's got people on jet skis in the video. That's all I remember. Fantastic. Love it. Um, yeah, it's good stuff. So, yeah, look, good on them. Um, don't know if we hear from... We probably won't hear from any more, no doubt, but we we probably hear from some, Gwen, from some Gwen action later on. So that's fantastic. Um... All right, up again next um, for eight weeks. It's Savage Garden again, Tom. Eight more weeks. Fuck Truly, me. madly, deeply. Now, look, ooh, I want you that we've talked about before <laughs> and to the moon and back. I can tolerate those. They're not the best songs, but no, I can tolerate they're catchy. them. Um, I really fucking hated this song at the time <laughs> and it's terrible now. It's just so boring and I just know. fucking dog it's, shit. It's one of those ones with a two and a half minute long video clip and you find yourself skipping ahead because two and a half minutes isn't going past quickly enough. Yeah, look, it's boring as hell. Um, but look, it was featured in the highly successful 1998 Jude Law film Music from Another Room. God, that has to be a contender for worst movie title of all time. Oh, absolutely, I yeah. I saw this on the movie show. Even Margaret and David were like, that fucking title sucks shit. Yeah, it does And has shit. absolutely nothing to do with the film. What the fuck does that even mean? Like, even in, like, Deathbed, the bed that eats people, at least invites you in to see what the deathbed might yeah, look like. Yeah, that's true. Music from another room. What does that fucking mean? Uh, look, I've not seen the film. I'm not going to. I just assume it's terrible. Um, <laughs> no, look, Jude Law and a Savage Garden soundtrack, those two <laughs> things don't really entice me. Um, if anyone, you know, hit us up on the Instagram if uh, you disagree and tell us why Tom and I should um, live stream us on Twitch watching... Um, <laughs> The 1998 Jude Law film music from another room. Now, the name Savage Garden. I was always, I was curious about this. I was trying to sort of check it out, um, and I found out that it comes from um, the Anne Rice novel um, Memnock the Devil. Uh, okay. 
So the Vampire Chronicles number five, apparently. So oh, okay. specifically, there's a passage in a book that says, in the Savage Garden, you shine beautifully, my friend. She does which, love purple prose. <laughs> which describes the landscape inhabited by the vampire. Now, Darren Hayes of Savage Garden has said um, that he feels an affinity for vampires because as a performer, he has to navigate a world where he was often misunderstood. <laughs> mm, that could be one reason. Another reason could be because Anne Rice's vampires are super homoerotic and gay. Yep. And that also he's a massive dork. But I yep. do like that he doesn't bother trying to make up a cooler story and he's okay to just go, no, I got it from this goth book I liked when I was a dork. 12, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. Which is pretty good. Um, look, raises a lot of questions. One... Um, are vampires misunderstood for a for, for I mean, I don't know. Are they? <laughs> what do you think? Depends whether or not you think they drink blood to live forever. Then they're also fictional. It's hard. It's hard to be misunderstood when you don't actually exist. I guess it's sort of a little bit difficult. But so, but he feels an affinity for them because he too is misunderstood. Mm. He is like a vampire. Mm. Um, Savage Garden could have almost been a goth band, couldn't they? They should have gone for a darker image, been a little bit more... He could have dressed up as a vampire, and I think I would have probably enjoyed it a bit more. If he had a couple more members, and if he had a better voice, they could have done a bit of... um, What were they called? Uh, Evanescence. I could imagine. Yeah, that would be pretty good, I think. Absolutely right. So, uh, look, the music video for this is Darren Hayes just walking around Paris in a leather trench coat, which I think looks sick. Oh, it's yeah, a it's good awesome. outfit. Leather trench coat and a, a black turtleneck. Oh, It's yeah, always yeah. a classy combination, just like your shaft shaft outfit. Yeah. Look, it never goes out of style. I don't <laughs> think that sort of that look like a leather leather trench coat. I I think it's he was wearing a shirt underneath. Though. I think the best look for a leather trench coat is just no shirt oh, or t-shirt, okay. just sure. bare chest, just a blade, with a, with blade a, style. Yeah, exactly, exactly like blade. <laughs> Um, and I think East 17 pulled that off in a few of their music videos as well, which is cool. Would so. you accessorise that with, say, a um, wetsuit underneath? Oh, yeah, style? probably. Yeah, Maybe absolutely. a red plastic cod piece? Yeah, definitely. to have a couple of tennis balls wedged into it? Yeah, look, I think that if Angelina Jolie, uh, you combined her with sort of, uh, you know, Keanu in The Matrix, you are sort of getting mm. a wetsuit with a leather jacket combo. So um, I think I would like to see that. <laughs> Definitely a really good look. It also has two music videos, though. The other one is just sitting on a couch. So you've got... Boring. Walking, yeah, exactly. Walking around Paris in a leather trench coat or just sitting on a couch. So why would you even bother making the other one? I've got no just, idea. Just, it's one of those videos where the band are like in a meeting and the studio says, so what's the video, guys? And the singer's like, oh, we should um, evoke melancholy romance, perhaps in a European setting like Paris while he's stuffing travel <laughs> brochures under the desk in a hurry with all the prices cost out and suck it Warner Music Publishing scribbled in. Yeah. That was 97. These days the label would be like, well, if you cut out a picture of the Eiffel Tower out of a woman's weekly and film yourself in front of it on your own phone, we'll pay for the woman's weekly. Oh, I'm just getting a call. No, sorry, we won't pay for the woman's weekly. We've just been bought by, checks notes, a YouTube unboxer. He's nine. So, yeah, it was a different time, is what I'm saying. <laughs> absolutely. They flew him to Paris just to wander around. That's yeah, nice. Yeah, doing nothing. Yeah, he just, just doing absolutely about nothing. in a trench coat. 
Yeah, they probably exactly. paid for the fucking trench coat. They paid for old dirty bastard's collection of Louis Vuitton. They did. They luggage. paid for all of his handbags, <laughs> so he could drop a verse in a Mariah Carey song. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So respect to that guy. Fucking up. R.I.P. O.D.B. Yeah. Um, lyric. Does this have any lyrical highlights? Like uh, in a ma- uh, uh, not uh, really. Um, there's two versions of the song. One for the U.S. market with oh. a drum track. I think that's uh, why the video is just like different. Sorry. Um, Lyrics are like, I want to stand with you in a mountain, I want to bathe with you in the sea, I want to lay like this forever till the sky falls down on me. Can you see it, baby? You don't have to close your eyes. It's standing right before you. All that you need will surely come. Oh, oh, yeah. I mean, that sold 23 million albums. I sold some yep. sneakers on eBay once. How yep. about you? Um, not 23 million pairs. <laughs> I don't think you did, Tom, did you? No. 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 I got to admit, he's he's ahead of me there. All um, right, Darren, you've bested me once again. Yep. What have we got next? Speaking uh, of things that have aged super well. Well, I'll just quickly say, Tom, you can oh, buy yeah, that sorry. for four cents. So this one point. Oh, out okay. Right you already said how much. Absolutely. But yes, up next, Hanson with Mbop. Wow. <laughs> now, has this aged well, Tom? Uh, I mean, it's remembered. Yep. Not a novelty song, but no, no. certainly a one-hit wonder. Uh, look, I'm going to say this sucks worse than that Savage Garden <laughs> song, but look, they were legitimately children, so I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. Um, this was their first single released in 97 when um, Isaac, he was the oldest one, he was 16. Mm-hmm. Uh, Taylor was 13 and Zach was 11. So, yeah. look, it's pretty good for kids. I guess so. But it's pretty terrible in terms of just general music. Yes, and you get the feeling they had uh, wealthy parents who uh, sort of backed them and I'm guessing gave them some help. Yep. Whereas you get the feeling Silverchair were probably more like just jamming Banging it out in the garage, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I'd probably take Silverchair. Although I might be tempted to say that I personally enjoy this more than that last fucking... Um, Savage Garden song Yeah look so, You're right Tom you I know, think who, uh, I, that, But that's just My personal preference no, Look when I said This sucks worse Than the Savage Garden song Actually um, I wrote that Before I'd sort of Gone back and listened To <laughs> both of them Back to back And um, I wanted to Stay the course But the reality is That yeah That Savage Garden song Is pretty boring At least this is like Upbeat and like It has catchiness Yeah if nothing else at all, musicianship, singing oh, ability, yeah, yeah. lyrics or anything. Whereas that Savage Garden one doesn't even have catchiness on its side. Definitely. Now, look, this, interesting, this was produced by the Dust Brothers. Now, I, yes. I can't fucking See, believe that for I a second. Think, but Again, it's money. I'm guessing that this is, yeah. Yeah, so the Dust Brothers, um, you know, produced such big albums as Beck's Odelay, Beastie Boys' Paul's Boutique. Mm. Um, I mean, so this is a strike against their name. But it's sort of interesting, I guess, like Paul's Boutique is just, you know, a very samples-based album, as we know, yeah. um, with the Beastie Boys sort of providing their own lyrical take yeah. and stuff. Whereas this is just, sounds like the Dust Brothers just literally recording them playing their shit. Like, oh, so. it do, weirdly enough, it yep. does have a few samples. Oh, it does it? I know what you mean. They, they did the Fight Club soundtrack as well, which yeah. is another sampling masterpiece. Mm-hmm. Stealing Fat might be my favourite movie opening of all time. That I'll put the link in there. Yeah, it's, it's good. Um, but yeah, if you're wondering where the scratching in the chorus here comes from, it's Buffalo Gals by Malcolm oh, McLaren. Oh, fuck, is it? Yeah, and the song also features drum loops in addition to the drumming oh, okay. from... Melvin Bliss uh, synthetic substitution 
If I had to say one thing about Mbop, it would be don't listen to Mbop, listen to Melvin Bliss Synthetic Substitution because <laughs> it's really fucking good, whereas Mbop is more Mballsack, really, when you get down <laughs> to it. I've got to admit, I remembered this being better than it was, which is not saying much because no. I remembered it being a disposable pop hit, but yeah. yeah. Um, and listen to that Malcolm McLaren song as well. Yeah, I, Buffalo I, Girls. I like Buffalo That's Girls. a bit of an old, early... Um, classic of uh, sort of early hip-hop proto-hip-hop absolutely right so yeah it's, it's sort of weird that one of the proto-hip-hop songs is from an old white Scottish guy but there you go <laughs> so, uh, well by Malcolm McLaren yeah, yeah. stretching it well, as yeah, is exactly. anything ex- associated him. with Malcolm McLaren <laughs> him just talking over something that someone else has done <laughs> yes. so yeah um, what but, he yeah. paid for the recording studio for sure absolutely so um, but yeah what Buffalo Gals go around the outside later you know Eminem you know, chop mm. that up for his um, trailer park. Oh, I'm, I'm sure outside. that's one of those ones that's been sampled. For a million times, million yeah, times. exactly. So, yeah, look, so that's weird um, from the Dust Brothers, but look, yeah, you're right, money comes along, I guess. So, look, Hanson took a bit of a cue from Kiss, not quite to the extreme of Kiss, because Kiss have, like, the Kiss coffin and all that <laughs> other shit, you know. Um, when, it, when it comes to marketing, like, no, no one will ever get anywhere remotely close to Kiss in terms Gene of the, Simmons, the yeah. amount of shit that they have it's sold over the incredible. years. And that was decades before other bands even thought yeah, of that. Exactly. It's amazing. Very, very clever that... Um, Truly is the Donald Trump of hard rock. Yeah, definitely respect that. But these guys set up their own branding and distribution sort of company quite early on, interestingly. So they had like a Hansonopoly, like, <laughs> bought, you know how you can now get Monopoly yeah. of fucking anything that's ever existed. Like, tw- sort of 20 years ago, that that was a novelty to have like a handsome sure. lovely game um, they had their own guitar picks and then in no- 2011 they announced that they'd be selling a craft beer um, <laughs> an IPA Tom um, called Mmm Hops mm. now is that clever or is that fucking dog shit it's like nice try but it's no slice of Devon <laughs> no it's not slice of Devon wins that no one's beaten that yet I don't think no no absolutely right so yeah look um They've released two Christmas albums, which I think is a sign of a great band, yep, because it's song. very difficult to do a covers Christmas album. I find it's difficult to do one, and they did Snowed In, I think, sort of directly after this oh, album. Okay. But then they did another that was one. during their cocaine phase. Yeah, I think so. Must be very difficult to do a second Christmas album, mm. given that you know they mm. did all the best songs in the first one. But Hanson pulled it off, so good on them. I haven't heard either of them, but I assume they're both dog shit. <laughs> um, they did release an album in 2020, so they're still going. But Tom, look, we like to break things on this show I think mm-hmm. so um, look I'm talking about Handsome Gate ah yes I've heard of this as well please yeah, hit look, me with it controversial but um, apparently it all started off first of all when they wouldn't really commit to Black Lives Matter causes I think sort of oh, they okay. had some people saying oh will you support this and they just sort of wouldn't really do it Um you know, Hanson are three white dudes, and I gather that most of their fans are white, but I would have hoped that yep. sort of, you know, they'd be sort of at least supportive in some effort, even if just, you know, giving a thumbs up or something like that. <laughs> Apparently they wouldn't. But then um, after that, someone leaked a deleted Pinterest account <laughs> belonging to Zach, the young one, the small mm, one. Wow. Who, who was 12, he's probably like 40 now, something, but he was young back then. So apparently um, what happened was, um, so he was, yeah, he was 11 when they released this album, but 
The, uh, the Pinterest account housed a trove of pro-gum memes, many of which were racist, transphobic, homophobic, etc., etc. One that supported um, George Zimmerman, the, who killed Trevon Martin. Another comparing the right to use an AR-15 rifle with Rosa Parks' right to sit on a bus. So this is one of the members sure. of Hanson sort of, sort of collecting this stuff. Um, and other memes included one that said, uh, had like a man... Uh, who don't like guns as gay. So there you go. Sure. Probably true. I don't know. And a man wanting to dress like a woman to having a mental illness. Mm. So I think that what we're, what we're going to say there is that um, Hanson, the, the memes that the young Hanson was sharing probably don't align well with their fan base or <laughs> general 2021, I guess, sort of, you know, people supporting... It, you know the causes, I guess. The problem is that I mean, the he would be what he'd be thirty seven or so yeah. now, so I mean he'd be right, you know, in prime territory for you know being on the internet, sending memes to other people. Yeah, exactly. So look, I think uh, the, the problem is that probably just didn't really align with the the fan base and sort of no, shit. You're right. I mean, I mean, he I'm wouldn't sure align people... with the fan base then, but like. Thirteen-year-olds now wouldn't be into that, mm. but other thirty-seven-year-olds might be. They're well, that's probably true. All on the same website. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, look, it's it's one of those things, I guess, where once that was revealed, a lot of people were like, "Oh, that's no good." But I don't know whether it's really diminished their fan base. Um, look, well, I've, I've burnt that. all my hands and shit since finding this out, Tom. He but... did do that. Um... Follow-up, mm, red pill. There was that uh, attempt to restart their career. <laughs> Absolutely. Look, the three members of Hanson have 15 kids amongst them. Well, that's a warning sign for me, I think. Mm. So that's way too many kids for, for three members of Hanson. That says healthy Christian family from the Midwest to me. Yeah, exactly right. And um, look, I think basically... The other brother, the eldest one, as part of this Hanson Gate thing, um, he posts an Instagram story talking about how our government wants to cancel Thanksgiving, Christmas, and Easter because of COVID, and I will not comply. So well, that's why they need all those guns, Ben, because they've yep. become frontline warriors in the war on Christmas. Yeah, exactly, so, for know, sure. And I'm sure they're also toilet warriors as well. You know, <laughs> gotta keep those people out of our toilets. Yeah, so look, I think they've, they haven't done a lot to in recent years to sort of probably... Uh, I guess a lot of their fan base, I gather, are probably females as well, perhaps. So I don't sure. know whether sort of uh, the, the beliefs that they've... Well, I guess some of the things they've posted are probably... Well, so was... I mean, Silverchair's fan base were... You know, I'm sure there was a big chunk of women there in theirs. Yep. Um, I mean, this could have been Silverchair, really. Yeah, which still says a lot for Silverchair, I reckon, because Hanson had a rich family backing him up and setting him up for success, whereas Silverchair had a room with no bathroom and no sink. <laughs> you know, they didn't even have any good-tasting water no, in there. No, it was very hard to drink, yeah. But, <laughs> yeah, interestingly, the Silverchair-Hanson comparison wasn't just drawn by me after I woke up from a general anaesthetic. Uh, Dolly Magazine were obsessed with the debate ah. and published numerous multiple-page articles out about it, leading to a fiery debate across their letters page for several years, which I thought was what you were referring to by Hanson. <laughs> but, yeah, if I just look through what some of these tweens had yep. to say, uh, Zach Hanson is the living angel of rock, says Nicole from Boambi. Yep. Uh, 
Uh, you totally nuts, handsome rule. Silver chair is so disgusting. Taylor is a gorgeous babe. His eyes make me melt. Yep. Silver chair are a thing of the past. So silver chair are already out at the age of sixteen. Oh no. Um, yeah. What else have we got here? Handsome rock, and I'm sick of getting sick of people putting them down. Um, Hanson's music doesn't have any real meaning to it. I mean, a twelve-year-old isn't exactly going to be a love expert, says Kylie from. Bradbury WA is obviously a love expert. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, after going to a Silverchair concert, I realised I need more posters and pics of these Aussie spunks. Ooh. I simply can't get enough of Ben, Chris, and Daniel. Notice she puts you first. Yeah, there I did. I top. noticed that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, that's good. Yeah, um, good to see that Dolly were tackling the really difficult <laughs> issues. Silverchair v Hanson. That's um, true. There's nothing uncomfortable either about 13 year olds sexualizing 15 year olds. No, not at all. I to think... sell magazines for 19 year olds. I'm yep. assuming the editing's done. <laughs> Hanson are tryhard mbopper dags. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Silverchair are 100 million times better. Yep. Hanson are no competition, and no one should even ask who rules because Silverchair will always rule, and Hanson will always suck. Yeah. So, yeah, that's from a mother, supposedly. Wow. Although she might have been using... <laughs> oh, no, sorry, it's from Mrs. John's. <laughs> like, oh, no, Daniel's mum. Uh, Look, it's good, yeah. Look, um, for those that don't know, was that Dolly or Girlfriend magazine? That's Dolly. Yep, cool. Aged at, uh, yeah, probably, what... <laughs> children I guess but <laughs> yes. these are the big debates that you need to have at the time and look I, I think that um, I agree with all of those quotes that people have said because it's really different you know I, I, I feel that I'm in the middle of these Tom you know <laughs> definitely you know Zach is definitely a spunk but you know mm. Daniel's lyrics probably speak to me a bit more so oh look Oh, am I in Camp Hanson? Am I in Camp Silverchair? It's, 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 like, the, it's like Blue Oasis for me all over again it's really hard to know um, look I think I'll probably go the Silverchair group but let's just say that, you know, I, I do respect the boys from Hanson, um, apart from Zach, who sounds like that he's, you know, a racist. So. <laughs> well, back then it was a different story. Yeah, I it mean, was. It's obvious, for instance, according to Liz from Candillo, New South Wales, it's obvious that Hanson are way better than Silverchair. But why, Liz? The answer is the worst thing that Hanson has done was spit off a hotel balcony, but Daniel Johns goes and drives without a license. How stupid. Yeah. Mm. That's true. It's true. That's <laughs> right. I like my rock stars well behaved, Ben. So do I. Look, I, I like them to at least, um, you know, abide by sort of traffic rules and regulations. I think that driving without a license is probably not the way to go when you're in a rock band. Okay. But um, look, to be honest, they probably get chauffeured around a lot. So maybe <laughs> didn't need a license, but then realized you had to go to the shops to pick up something and then just went, oh, fucking hell, I'll just pop down. Everyone, you know been there just jump in the parents car drive down get busted but you know hand, spit, spitting off a balcony you know that I mean someone you could take someone's eye out I mean especially not, not really you couldn't but you know what if you had SARS or something and sort of <laughs> spat it out and it sort That's of went, went in someone's eye and it's like ah so yeah look um, here's one thing that I want to raise Tom I can't think of many things worse uh, to have to endure than the Hanson Back to the Island Destination Concert Event. So, <laughs> Tell me more about well, that. I managed to miss it somehow. Yeah, so look, it's a rare musical escape, Tom, that takes music fans to a world-class resort destination on the Caribbean shore to enjoy connecting with other music fans in a beautiful place while sharing once-in-a-lifetime musical experiences with Hanson as your host. Mm -hmm. So they've been doing this for nine years, Tom. You can go to an island, 
It sounds a lot like the fucking Fire Festival, I'll tell you what. It does. Uh, and Hanson will perform for you on this. It's just Caribbean <laughs> Island with Hanson, <laughs> other Hanson fans yep. for four days. So January 2022 <laughs> is the next one. It's in Jamaica. Um, Jewel Paradise Cove. This is what you get. Uh, escape, to get to escape to the tropics to kick off Hanson's 30th year together on the beaches of the Caribbean. Five days, four nights at the Jewel Pacific Cove, Tom. With airport to resort transport. Sure. That's included. Uh, three Hanson concerts, <laughs> plus Isaac, Taylor, and Zach solo shows. Sure. Plus special guests uh, to be determined. <laughs> but they are I coming. I really like to be determined. They're great. Yep. Special back to the island merchandise packages, individual photos with a band, two sessions, <laughs> team games with Isaac and Zach, a dance party with Taylor. <laughs> Resort activities, glass bottom boat tour, weather permitting, additional charges apply. Reef snorkeling excursions, also weather permitting, sure. additional charges apply. Uh, kayaking and other non-motorized water sport adventures with instructors, beach and pool volleyball. So that's what you get in all of this. Um, rooms start at $1,799 per person based on double occupancy. Sure. So are you prepared, Tom, I'll put together my 1800, but are you prepared to get your 1800 together for this? Sure. For five days of pure Hanson attack. There's three three Hanson concerts. I mean, don't Plus give solo me sets. It sounds great. It sounds like uh, living in a real life episode of The White Lotus, except instead of Alexandria Daddario, I get to look at three guys who had a hit in 1997 with a song called Mbop. One of whom, at least, is some sort of weird racist. Yeah, exactly. So, at least one. And then, and you're telling me I can have that for just eighteen hundred dollars plus, probably an extra three and a half grand for plane tickets. So yeah, exactly. So for a measly five thousand dollars, yep. I can pay for Hanson to go on holiday and subsidise their um, smorgasbord exactly. prices. But you are uh, seeing three concerts. That's true. I yep. will get three concerts. I hope one of them's unplugged because I always wanted to see Hanson. Oh, it would be good. Um, <laughs> and, and an individual solo set from each of the members as well. Mm-hmm. But, Is but, that a euphemism? Yeah. Because <laughs> that would make slightly more sense. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Look, just remember to bring an extra couple of dollars in the wallet time because I know that you want to go on that glass bottom boat tour weather permitting oh, but that's that, not included no that is additional charges okay? <laughs> weather weather permitting um, so glass bottom boat um, and also the snorkeling um, also weather permitting and also extra charges for mm-hmm. that, so. but who I don't, I, do you have time for snorkeling when you've got three Hanson <laughs> concerts I'll spell it out for you Tom three Hanson concerts a solo set from all of them special guests to be determined photo sessions I'm not snorkeling. I don't need. I don't need to worry about <laughs> no, that. No, so. your entertainment's already set up. Absolutely. So look, it sounds like a, a, a probably. I can't think of anything worse that I would want to go to in my <laughs> life than that. Um, hanging out with three former child star racists on an island in in Jamaica. So I don't know. But look, I don't know. Eight cents discogs. That's more than I would have thought. <laughs> <laughs> in all honesty 2.5 mil on the Spotify that's, that's, that's a lot that's more than I would yeah, have thought yeah it's a lot too. more but they do have those two Christmas albums don't I forget I guess they've so. got they've got a little bit of kind of wiggle style ironic yeah thing but, to them they do after, pop up on shows every now and then you know they're not yeah. yeah, but also you got to remember that they are still going now. They're still doing this island tour. They're still <laughs> releasing albums, obviously. But in terms of mainstream success, there was this song, 
the follow-up single, Where Is The Love, which I think was a top 10 hit. Mm. And then for the last 22, three years, they've had no hits. Yes. So they're obviously dog shit now. <laughs> they're, oh, worse than the, they're, they're worse than what they were at this time. So I don't know. That island vacation, I mean, I'm not sure whether you're going to be getting a lot of hits, I don't think. So, look, I wonder how many people show up on it. I mean, I suppose many, if they Kid, do it every year. I suppose so. if Kid Rock can headliner, Kid Rock's rocking the most Caribbean cruise, you know, yep. then yeah, absolutely. it's possible. Although... I mean, much as I hate to admit it, Kid Rock has had a hit song sometime in the last 20 fucking years. Yeah, I think so. That's right. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but look, we also know that Isaac, he, he hates the coronavirus. He doesn't want anything to get in the way mm. of, of Christmas or the Hanson back to the island trip, obviously. I think that's the big takeaway that I assume that he was sort of tweeting that to be like, no one can take our yeah. Hanson back to the island away from us. I wouldn't have thought he would have been much of a fan of the actual inhabitants of the Caribbean islands either, but then again, I suppose the cast of White Lotus. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Look, for sure. Uh, here at Lyrical Highlights, I can't imagine there are many. Well, there aren't. I mean, as you pointed out, the chorus is basically a series of mouth noises. Mm, bop, bop, ba dip bop, boo, dup, ba It's not great, no. is it? Um, the look... I will give them this. The, the verses are weirder than I remembered. Yep. They appear to have been trying to actually say something, although what, I don't know. Uh, if you start acting strange, if love ever changed, I'd be suspicious of their modern-day scheme, replacing a woman with a love machine. Hmm. Now, Ben, I know my prison psychologist advised me not to ask this question again, but is an 11-year-old MRA trying to sell me a used fleshlight? Because that seems to be what's happening here, um, yep. you know. <laughs> and no wonder he ended up on the internet if this is what he's into at look, this age. That's clearly what the song's about. And I think that, um, look, the less said about it, the better, probably. Uh, just because I think that there's going to be a lot of, sorry, quote, merchandising opportunities at Back to the Island, Tom. I think that that's sort of what... Yeah. So I don't know what all the merchandise is, but probably a fleshlight, maybe some sort of... Um, hand, would they be selling Hanson like dildos based on their, on their actual uh, dicks? I would think for two grand and given their current fame level... They wouldn't bother moulding the dildos. You'd get just get the real thing. Yeah, right? okay. You'd get a series of private room concerts. How, how much would a three pack of Hanson Dick candles set you back? <laughs> do you think from the back to the island merchandising table? All three of them. Um, Once again, know. I think that the merchandising table with the Dick candles would be less candles and more just holes drilled in the table with their actual dick sticking through very could, much for sale. Could, could well be. Absolutely right. But look, I'd pay 20 bucks for a three Hanson dick pack, I guess. Candle I pack. I say I'd pay 20 bucks for a three-way with Hanson. Oh, that'd be more than that, I think. So they'd be charging more, I think, Tom. So yeah, but... Two grand, apparently. Two grand, right. exactly right. Okay, well, that's enough about three. Yeah, I can move on from those guys. So look, I don't think we'll hear from them again, thank goodness. Um, up next is Puff Daddy, as he was known at the time. Mm-hmm. I think probably P. Diddy now, or Diddy or some oh, other bullshit. Oh. Faith Evans featuring 112, I'll Be Missing You. Uh, yes. Now, Tom, this is an emotional one. On the 9th of March, 1997, while visiting Los Angeles, uh, Notorious B.I.G. or Biggie Smalls, or Biggie had a lot of nicknames, as we know, um, murdered in a drive-by shooting. Um, The assailants remained unidentified, even to this very day. So no one knows 
who killed Biggie. Some people say that, you know, was Tupac involved? We don't know. Was it someone else? Was it probably, you know, Suge Knight, some other madness? Did we don't Tupac know. Did Tupac get shot at the same time or on the it's same very sim- Not the same night, but uh, Tupac and uh, Notorious B.I.G. died in very close succession. So I heard a theory that it was, it was a fairly convincing one laid out, but I can't remember yeah. the details, but that it was... It was two African-American police officers who had gang connections, uh-huh. possibly, which is why they were never caught, because they were able to do it sort of off-duty and yeah. cover their own tracks. Yeah. But, but fuck knows. But yeah, I mean, it's crazy that sort of 20, almost 25 years later, this remains unsolved. There's another theory that it was um, the, the young one from Hanson. The, the 11-year-old kid, who we know is he a racist. He didn't like sharing so, the limelight, no, he, he did he? So he, he did he have went, a large gun collection. Exactly. He has the guns, um, has the connections, went and just offed Biggie because he didn't like sharing the music charge. But look, anyway, so um, he only released one album at that point. Oh, um, really? before, Yeah, he only released yeah, one. But he's kind of a shame. But um, what happened, and it happens a lot with, you know, rap music, um, that he released another two uh, after his death, one being a duets album that he really couldn't consent to because he's dead, so there's nothing worse than that. (laughs) We're going to take some, you know, you just fucking around with your friends in the studio, but we'll chop that up and try and do a duets album or something. Uh, And uh, the other one sort of being, I think just another sort of almost complete album that they sort of finished off. But... He's sold over 21 million albums in the US, which is pretty good. A lot of those after he died. Sort of Tupac as well. Now, remember when Tupac died and he just released an album yeah. every year throughout the next decade? But he had more than one album while yeah, he, he was did. alive. Yeah. I mean, Absolutely. One, I, honestly, that shows how little I know about this year of hip-hop. Yeah. One fucking album. Man. Yeah, yeah. So, look, Rolling Stone have called him, quote, the greatest rapper that ever lived, and Billboard named him um, one of the greatest rappers of all time. Mm. Now, look, I don't really think that... Uh, Rolling Stone know anything about any music, um, but look, I'll take that. I'll take their word on it that he's the greatest of all time. But look, he's obviously oh, he was obviously very very good. The source made him, yeah, they made him named him the greatest rapper of all time in the 150th issue. And look, yeah, he's obviously very very talented. Um, and look, MTV even as well, number three on their list of greatest MCs of all time, calling him possibly the most skillful on the mic. And in 2020, he was introduced into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So look, obviously. Very storied career, a lot of respect from across the industry, and look, it's safe to say that he was held in very high regard in hip-hop circles. So what better way to pay tribute to him than by getting Puff Daddy to provide a rather uninspired rap over an uncleared sample (laughs) of the police's every breath you take, which is what this is. Yep. This is dog shit, and I feel that <laughs> the notorious B.I.G. deserved significantly more. Yeah, yes. Puff Daddy was never one to turn down a marketing opportunity. No, absolutely. Um, his wife, Faith Evans, does show up for the chorus uh, in this song. Um, B.I.G.'s wife, yep. not Puff Daddy. Yeah, wife. sorry, yep. yep. B.I.G.'s wife. And despite her husband just being murdered, her performance has all the emotion of someone who's just found out their high school boyfriend of two weeks that not really that into is like boning Sheena. Like it's sort of effectively <laughs> yeah. just her going, every breath you take. It's not great, like it's, it's it? pretty bad. It's got less emotion than the Sting original. It, yeah. Oh, isn't that saying I something? I was also curious about the 112 story, as you mentioned before. It turns out that they were an R&B vocal group on Bad Boy Records, which was Puff Daddy's label. Yep. Uh, they consisted of, in a surprising development, uh, four handsome black dudes of about the same age with great abs. <laughs> Their self-titled album was their only release before this song won a Grammy. 
although it did feature the hits Jacuzzi, uh, Let's Get Soapy Girl, Love You All Night bracket in my Jacuzzi in bracket, Bubble Bath Lover and Girl I Told You Don't Cut Your Toenails In There, You'll Block the Jets, Girl You Nasty, which was, <laughs> um, you know, it was five. They, none, none of them, you know, really got that high in the chart, no. but yeah, it did Big lead them to this song. So, you know. Oh, absolutely. And that's the thing, though, stepping stones to end up getting on like a, a, a you know, a notorious yeah. B.I.G. sort of tribute track. So that was pretty good. Look, to this day, whenever somebody says, uh, what's 60 plus 52 to me? I do find myself thinking of 112. Oh, I often do. Absolutely right. I'm always just going, yeah, I remember those guys. They were pretty good. Look, permission wasn't given for the use of the sample. Um, Sting sued, and he received 100% of the song royalties. So uh, he was reportedly, when this song was at its (laughs) sort of height, um, earning $2,000 a day from royalties from the track. And apparently police guitarist Andy Summers called the sample quote a major rip-off, which it is. It's effectively just an instrumental of the song. And he found out after hearing it on the radio, he said, I was walking around Tower Records and the fucking thing would be playing over and over. It was very bizarre while it lasted. I I know we're sometimes in two minds about this, but this is... In the like, this happened several times last year and it will go on to keep happening in this period. I don't know why, but... Yeah, I mean, they just the, the police deserved it for this one. I'm not the biggest Sting fan in the world, but this is another just straight-up hip-hop rip-off song. Yep. It's just every breath you take with a former alleyway ticket scalper wanking all over it, lyrically speaking. Like his song, Come With Me, from the worldwide success hit movie Godzilla, starring <laughs> badass action hero, middle-aged Ferris Bueller, and a lady who is apparently now in the Witness Protection Program. That was just Cashmere by Led Zeppelin with a former alleyway ticket scalper wanking all over it. Like, you know... Seriously, yeah. could he not have afforded some session musicians to come up with something? Oh, man. Look, it's a pretty shit tribute, isn't it, to sort of, um, you know, this. It's it's dog shit, I think. Um, I think it only got to number one because there are probably Biggie fans that are like, oh, no, it's so emotional. Oh, yeah, no, and because every breath you take is oh, quite yeah. a good song Exactly, well. exactly. So, look, the video does feature Puff Daddy on a motorcycle, which is pretty <laughs> cool. Um, and, look, I know Puff Daddy was one of the biggest names in hip-hop, and he's amassed a massive fortune. Um, I think somewhere in the vicinity of three quarters of a billion dollars, according to yeah. Forbes. So he's obviously very wealthy. But I'm going out on a limb and saying that everything he's ever done is total dog shit, this included. <laughs> Never been a fan of his work. I think he's pretty awful. Um, sorry, Tom, I, sh- I shouldn't say that. He has done some good things. So look, in 1991, he promoted an AIDS fundraiser um, with Heavy D and the Boys, oh, yep. which is you know, everyone loves Heavy D and the Boys, at the City College of New York Gymnasium. Um, following a charity basketball game. So look, it's, it's a very noble thing to sort of sure. do that, raise money for AIDS. Um, on, on, you know, the event was oversold, a stampede occurred and nine people died. Mm. So that was okay. But look, what I will say, a lot more people died of AIDS. So yeah. in many ways, those nine people, <laughs> martyrs, you know, they went there, they died, but then the money Biggie, sorry, Puff Daddy raised sure. went towards helping find, you know, a cure for AIDS. So, look, in many ways, look, I think those nine people probably, hmm. they, died for, they died for the right yeah. reasons. I'm sure Puff Daddy only collected a small profit <laughs> no and gave the rest of it to a charity that, you know, looked suspiciously like something he'd drawn a logo for on a blank piece of paper he found yep. on the ground. Yeah, exactly right. Coffee stains on it. Exactly. Um, yeah. But heavy D, heavy D is Sir Mix a lot, isn't it? No, no, they're different people. Oh, they are. Okay. Heavy D's are. 
Now that we yeah. found love, but what he, are we going to do? Did he change his name to something else? Oh, he might but have. It's, but it's not Sir Mix-a-Lot. No, Sir Mix-a-Lot is a different dude. Maybe, yeah. maybe someone told me that years ago and I just remembered it. They, they look very similar. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, any lyrical highlights? Anything you got for this? I'm sure, I mean, there's not much to say, really. No. Uh, every breath you take, every move you make, every bond you break, every step you take, I'll be watching you. Oh, sorry, that's the actual song. Oh, okay. uh, the Puff Daddy version goes like this. Every step I take, every move I make, every single day, every time I pray, I'll be missing, missing you. Thinking of the day when you went away, what a life to take, what a bond to break, I'll be missing you. Yeah. So you can tell they're, they're very different. They different are songs. very, very different. Absolutely. Look, you know... The ultimate tribute to the ultimate rapper. So, um, look, Puff Daddy, Faith Evans, and 112. Puff, 7.5 million on Spotify. Oh, yeah. Uh, Faith, 3.5 million on Spotify. Mm -hmm. That surprises me. I don't know what other other things she's done. 112, 2.7 million on Spotify. Oh, okay. So, they've all got a bit of Spotify action happening, um, and you can buy this for 11 cents on Discogs. So look, uh, okay. I'm going out on a limb and saying that was pretty fucking terrible. So, <laughs> At know. least get Come With Me off the Godzilla soundtrack. Yeah, exactly. It's got a good you know, guitar break in it because yeah. it's actually the dude from Led Zeppelin. Yeah, look, I think you're right. Just go listen to the actual Police song. It's sort of you know, <laughs> less annoying. Um, so cool. All right, up next for four weeks, Will Smith... Men in Black, Tom. Ah, yes, about time. We did mention we were talking about Men in Black earlier this episode. Look, Men in Black was the biggest film of the year. We did mention that at the start of the show. Um, Look, Will Smith provided the single to obviously Men in Black. So, uh, rap song about being one of the Men in Black. (laughs) Then he's in the film Men in Black. So, it's that sort of Will Smith tie in. I was trying to remember where it actually appears in the film. I don't know if it's even in there. I don't think it actually is. I think maybe it's over the last half of the credits in grand old 90s tradition. But do you miss Will Smith providing a rap to the soundtrack of a film that he is in? Yes. Yes. I miss miss in general the 80s style of writing a song about a film that encapsulates the entire plot. Oh, absolutely. For sure. So look, you know, there's this one, which is obviously a great song. Um, There's Wild Wild West. You mentioned it's not the best film, but, you know, there's a song for that as well. And I think what happened is that that what we see is that this song, um, very popular song, straight to number one, Men in Black made a lot of money, as we heard at the the top of the show. Very, very popular film. Wild Wild West, um, the song... Yeah, you know, it's it's okay, it's fine, but it still it did its job of promoting the film and yeah. and Wild Wild West made a lot more money than the sort of the budget. So it made a profit, I guess you can say. It wasn't the greatest film, but we're still able to turn a profit. So I was sort of having a look at a lot of other I had a look at his IMDB page and was sort of thinking he hasn't done many songs for... I don't know whether he's done songs for any of his other films at all, or at least he doesn't really no. do it anymore. There's been a bit of a gap Maybe there. Maybe Wild Wild West put him off. The yeah, but I, I think so. But surprised I, he made any movies. <laughs> exactly. But I was having a look, Tom, as I said at the IDB, and I sort of thought, what are some of the films that Will Smith did that, that weren't really successful films that if he had have done a rap soundtrack uh, in there... Yes 
could have probably you know vaulted that into the next sort of level mm. and could have made the film a lot more profitable um, maybe made those films that did make a huge loss for the studios made them some money and obviously also produced a great another Will Smith classic song so let's have a look through and one of the ones that stood out for me um, you know just for example uh, The Legend of Bagger Vance Tom <laughs> um, are you a fan of The Legend of Bagger Vance? I prefer Finding Forrester. Yeah, yeah. But look, I'm so, sure Legend of Bagger Vance has a lot to offer in look, the yeah. magical Negro subgenre. The, the magical Negro subgenre, exactly right. Um, it did cop a little bit of flack for that. But let me just say that, look, for those that haven't seen The Legend of Bagger Vance, you've got Matt Damon. He's a golf guy. He's trying to learn how to play golf. Mm-hmm. And then you've got Will Smith, who is his caddy. Oh, so okay. he's, he's helping him out along the track. But... There was no rap song in the film mm-hmm. and it was a massive flop and it lost a heap of money. So I was sort of thinking if Will had have done a rap for the song, um, I think, it, you know, sorry, a rap song for the film could have really made a difference. So I was sort of just, you know, thinking to myself, what would that sort of sound like? So apologies, I just put this together, you know, earlier today, so it's not the best, but I was thinking something like this. So he just goes... They call me Bagavance When you take a chance on me I can be a cook, a cook caddy Yeah, I can teach you everything you need So boy, yeah, listen to my rap If you want to reduce that handicap Yeah, I'll give you my club Teach you all about love How to place the teeth There's so much you can learn from me Like how to swim I can teach you anything How to hit the ball I can teach you it all Cause I'm Bagavance Yeah, work my chef I'm Bagavance Show you how to stroke the head I'm Bagavance Show you how to press those balls I'm Bagavance Yeah, come on, come on, come on Bagavance Yeah, stroke my chef Bagavance, yeah, work my head, I'm Bagavance, put it in my hole, I'm Bagavance, yeah, caress my balls, I'm Bagavance, yeah, work my shaft, I'm Bagavance, yeah, stroke my head, I'm Bagavance, get it in my hole, I'm Bagavance, yeah, caress those balls, I'm Bagavance, yeah, stroke the balls, I'm Bagavance, yeah, work my shaft, I'm Bagavance, yeah, work my hole, I'm Bagavance, yeah, caress those balls, I'm Bagavance. So I see you saying like that, Tom, because sort of what it what it does is it sort of it demonstrates in the film what the character's about because you know Bag of Vance is the caddy so mm. he can teach Matt Damon about sort of the golf club so you know yeah. the grip on there and it's a really old fashioned sort of wholesome family type of film it know? is yeah so it's set in the 30s it's yeah, 1930s it's a departure so. from the kind of today's kind of you know, sleazy rap world. Exactly, you know, exactly. Full of sexual references in every song and that sort of thing. Yeah, so I think that... And what's nice about that song is that it, it demonstrates not just to to Matt Damon in the film, but us as the audience, what Bag of Vance is about. Mm. So he's the caddy. He's sort of saying, look, here's the golf club. Here's, you know, you, you need to become one with the club. you got to, you know, you need to learn about the grip, the shaft of the club, the head of the club. I can show you how to sort of, you know, put the tee in the ground you know, really swing the club and sort of caress the ball off the tee down the green. And I think the song captures all of that, you know, bag of ants, caress my balls, and bag of ants, work my shaft. And I sort of think that that's what the song sort of shows. Matt Damon's in the film. He's like, oh, I'm introduced to this character. Mm -hmm. He's told me all about his his caddying skills. I'm on board. So I think that would be great. And I also feel that you could use that five, six, seven times in the film. So, you know, when he first meets the, you know, Charlize Theron character... He's like, oh, God damn, look at that bitch. And she's like, oh, my God, who, who are you? Why are you saying? He goes, I'm Bagavance. Yeah, caress my balls. I'm Bagavance. Work my shaft. And then maybe sort of there's another party scene where he's sort of like, you know, Will Smith walks in. There's all these old white guys. It's super boring. And everyone's like, oh. And then he walks up. There's one of those old record players in the corner, you know, like a 78 sort of shellac 
yep. vinyl on there. He just goes up and starts scratching it. <laughs> bag of ants, yeah, caress my balls. Bag of ants, work my shaft. And I think you could probably use it as like a sort of, probably, you know, like in films how they like to use a bit of that sort of same motif throughout the film. So I think mm. there's some sort of suggestions there. Um, look, I don't want to tell the director how to make the film, but it lost <laughs> $40 million, so maybe you need some tips. Every time Will Smith just walks on screen, mm. bag of bands, you know, sort of play that so that we know that he's in there. So I think putting that throughout the film mm. would really benefit the film, but also from a promotional point of view, Tom, you release this song, you know, a month before... You know, the film comes out. Sure. So people are just, you know, and it's a great song. It goes straight to, you know, and I'm just yeah. an amateur. So once you, you take what I've sort of just there, the sort of raw bones of it, and, and imagine Puff Daddy, have a and <laughs> Puff Daddy in there and Will Smith sort of, you know, using their swagger and making it. I think you're right. Puff and Will together working on that, you know, mm. they can sort of, you know, work it to make it better. Release that straight to number one. It's in the IGA when you're getting eggs. It's on Rage. It's all sure. over the place. People are going, what is this? What is this? Bag of ants, caress my balls. What is is this what is this song so they go opening weekend there's just lines around the block everyone goes to see it i reckon it makes its 80 million on the opening weekend and there you go they've made heaps of money mm. and everyone wins the film's better because it's more upbeat with some rap in it mm -hmm. you know they've made their money back so then they can go and produce other films yeah. everyone wins so i think that will smith doing a, you know legend of bag of vance <laughs> rap would have been great and he should have done that in every film he has ever been in regardless of when I mean this film's from the 30s but that's okay he can still rap in it he did it in Wild Wild West he rapped in that and that was in the Wild West times I guess mm. so just you know Muhammad Ali could be rapping iRobot all that shit so I think that's what he should have been doing except maybe this film because this song's fucking awful what do you think? <laughs> well I mean yeah the song itself uh, musically uh, this contains a sample of the song Forget Me Nots by as in the flowers by Patrice Rushin or Russian. Oh. Uh, when you see how much work Will Smith is putting into his rhymes at this stage in his musical career, you might be surprised to hear that when I say contemplance a sample of the song Forget Me Nots, I actually mean is the entirety of the song Forget Me Nots with all of the music and choruses except he says men in black instead of forget me nots. Ah. Which <laughs> the same number of basic syllables. Uh, but Tom, you might say, who gives a fuck about a 1982 <laughs> funk disco song called Forget Me Nots by someone I've never heard of? Well, what if I told you that it was covered in 95 by a little band called La Bouche? Oh. One of what I sometimes heard you call the Big Four of Eurodance. They're, they're, definitely, def they're definitely in the Big Four uh, of Eurodance. What if yeah. I also told you that Forget Me Nots has been sampled in 47 other songs, including Fast Love by George Michael oh, from last year. The Big Four of, mm -hmm. of gay toilet <laughs> singers. <laughs> and heaps of others, Evermore, Dougie, Fresh, ABC, and of course in the song... Uh, Knots by Danny Cruz, D's Knots by Red X, <laughs> Forget Me Thoughts by Young Gravy, mm. and Forget Me Nuts by Buzzcompers. <laughs> so it's a song with a lot of musical pedigree, and it's a really good song because every good thing in this song is basically that song. Yeah, plus, oh, yeah. again, some fairly lazy, mumbly, Puff Daddy style rapping from. Uh, from old Will over the top of it. We're your first, last and only line of defence against the worst scum of the universe. So don't fear us, cheer us. If you ever get near us, don't jeer us. We're the fearless. MIB's freezing up all the black. What's that stand for? Meaning black. I mean, it's not the worst rap we've covered. Yeah. In the original song, yeah. Or, on the other hand, it does just basically reel off the plot of the film and, you know, 
Just, I'm far from the coolest dude out, but Will Smith is only 29 here, and he's already starting to sound a bit like a dad trying to drop some hip-hop slang on TikTok. Yeah. <laughs> I think maybe it's weird. I find it weird because maybe he's like... Will Smith is one of the most naturally charming, unaffected personalities when he acts. It's kind of like Tom Hanks, you know? Yep. Even if it's not exactly what he's like in private, it seems so convincing that you kind of want to believe that that's what he's really like. The problem is that mainstream hip-hop by this stage is not about parents not understanding or getting beaten up by Mike Tyson. It's all bravado and swagger and dick-swinging stuff and the latest phraseology, and it just doesn't really suit his image by this point, I don't think. Yeah. Or maybe he just hung out with so many white people on movie sets that their whiteness rubbed off on him and, yeah, I don't know. What I'm saying is that 25 years on, the Will Smith from this movie is still a heck of charming. I watched it the other night when I was a bit drunk. He's still incredibly charming and likeable. But the guy trying to be suave and dope in this video just comes off like a black Justin Timberlake wearing Ray-Bans indoors, <laughs> you know, which is not really what anybody wants to come off like in 2021. Yeah, I don't know. What did you think of it? Did you... How do you think it's aged? Oh, look, I thought that my Legend of Bagavant song was better than this, Tom. <laughs> um, and that says something. It certainly so. had more inventive rhymes. It did, yeah, absolutely. If you so. ever get near us, don't jeer us. We're the fearless. I mean, Jesus. Yeah, look, I didn't really like this song at the time. Um, wasn't a big fan of the film. I don't... I, I don't know. Like, I understand it was a bit sort of quirky and like oh they're you know in you know oh, saving hey, it's not the, for everyone no this is sort of you know and look i didn't hate it i remember watching i didn't go that was the most dog shit thing ever but i don't think i sort of had the same affinity for it as like i never yeah. bothered watching any of the sequels and when they did that reboot two years ago i was like i'd rather oh, God, be shot no, out of a cannon into a volcano than watch it so but you haven't seen it since okay. no i saw oh, really? it i saw oh. men in black in 1997 probably when it Me came too. out i think yeah. i saw it at the movies had no intention of revisiting it or the sequels. <laughs> um, and this song, yeah, I'm not feeling it because, as you said, like it's just the samples that... So you've heard it in 50 yeah. other things, yeah. um, and it's a good sample, but, yeah, his, his rhyming's pretty uninspired. So, look, when I said that Will Smith should rhyme and do a song for every film he's ever made... <laughs> Um, look, I still stand by that because it would yeah. be weird for me to I'd not like stand to by see, that. Uh, but um, the secret of happiness rap and oh yeah, what is it? Seven pounds. Yeah, maybe Gemini Man that could have a. I think all after of them. Earth. I mean, you could just hear him after. That'd be after Earth straight away. Yeah, with uh, a with a rhyme from um, Willow. Jaden <laughs> uh, was Jaden in After Earth. I think yes, he was. Yeah, so they could the do they could do a duet, which would be pretty good. Yeah, exactly. So look, I think you should just rap in everything. Yeah, um, no, I think you're but right. But yeah, for sure. So seven point five mil on um, Spotify. I thought it might be a bit more than that. Like Will Smith seems to. But I, I mean, don't know. He hasn't really done a lot lately, though, has yeah. he? He's more. What he's more music films has now. he done recently? Yeah, maybe. I think it's all film work these days, isn't it? So, which to his detriment. So that's kind of what I was trying to say. Like. Yeah. It took him decades to get bored with acting, but he seems bored of rapping in this already, uh, yeah. really. He seems like he barely muster enough to give a fuck about yeah, the, look, men in, the men in the I men think in so. Black. So, look, if they remake The Legend of Bag of Ants, um, Will, you can use that. Um, I know Jaden <laughs> will be taking your role. Um, Matt Damon might just play the same role he did previously. Um, mm. So, yeah, you can use that if you want guys to sort of put it in a new direction. Oh, That's fine. I'll, I'll give that to yeah. you. I'll give that to you guys. It's okay. Um, so yeah, four weeks for that. Up next for six weeks, fuck off, <laughs> is Elton John, um, Candle in the Wind 97. Mm, yes. When we were trying to think of things that happened in 97, one of the things we somehow managed to overlook was that oh, fucking Princess died, yeah. died, died this year. <laughs> So yeah. Now, this is a fucking scam. Now, I'm sorry, but yeah, Elton John... Is. 
was too lazy to write a new like, yeah, oh, and, Princess and Bernie Turpin he's his long time yep. songwriter who wrote the original they were both too lazy too to fucking lazy to write a tribute song for Princess Diana so they just pulled out one of the old hits from the other years mm-hmm. just went let's just get that again and let's just marginally change the lyrics so look the Notorious B.I.G. song was fucking dog shit and look they just used a police sample and Puff Daddy got someone else to write his rap and someone else, you know, did other bits for probably Puff Daddy. Sorry, for, um, sorry, Evans, whatever. Uh, <laughs> Faith, Faith Evans. Faith yeah. Evans. But yeah, so like, you know, everyone wrote other shit, but at least somebody spent some time trying to yeah. do something for that Notorious B.I.G. song, which sucked. But look, Elton John did nothing with this. So look, it's not really a tribute to someone if you, you know, if you say, I'm going to do a tribute to yeah. you. If it's a song you've written decades before they've even died. Oh, yeah, comparing this to those last two songs, this shows the line between lazy and into fucking insulting territory. Oh, like, exactly. even if you were a huge Notorious B.I.G. fan, you know, do you really want Puff Daddy dedicating a new remix at your funeral where he's changed the lyrics from B.I.G. to B.E.N.? Yeah, You know, I really. mean, that's a whole new level of can't be asked. Well, Tom, you can sing the Legend of Bagaband song at my funeral <laughs> if you want. I think I'd be happy with that. So do that. But, um, yeah, completely agreed. Uh, is Candle in the Wind the best song for Lady well, Diana as well? The, both of these things were said even at the time. Even in this even in this kind of whirlwind of public yep. sympathy and love for Lady Di, which was a little bit out of nowhere but hey ignoring that yep. even at the time people were like A this is lazy as fuck and B was she really like fucking Marilyn like you know which is who the original yeah, song yeah. is about like you say I mean look yeah. I think Candle in the Wind look it's about someone that doesn't doesn't care or, the, or you know yeah. or, or reckless behaviour yep does it fit into that someone who's sort of like I guess just a free spirit that doesn't really sort of care about consequences someone who's a bit lost as yeah, well exactly. like someone who doesn't you know so look I mean she did die in a high speed car accident so yeah maybe she was reckless I'm not <laughs> sure I, I mean I take your original point though like I mean I'm sure they both died tragically albeit in completely different yes. ways and they both did have famously shit taste in men, which is, I suppose, where you get the line, never knowing who to cling to from the original uh, song, which was equally true about Lady Di, but he was at least tasteful enough to edit that out. Of the <laughs> yeah, life. exactly. Um, but really, they didn't have much else in common. No. It has to be said. They no. really weren't, other than being basically physically attractive you know uh, yeah look at this point in time Tom you know at my in 2021 I've never met Elton John I don't know him personally but look obviously after the you know this podcast might really take off one day and we might sort of get to that sort of level where um, we're interviewing once we run out of ideas we interview musicians that seems to be sort of like the most boring (laughs) fucking idea for a podcast let's just interview some guy that's been interviewed a thousand other times so let's assume that happens Tom we're just like completely devoid of ideas Spotify pick us up and say can you interview Elton John Mm. we do that okay we become mates you know Elton seems like you know fun loving guy that's that's great we become friends and then I die in a high speed paparazzi car chase Mm. can you please ask Elton at my funeral (laughs) to do Crocodile Rock 
Because I think that would be a fitting tribute sure. to me. Do you want me to get him to change the lyrics to had a massive cock or something? No, like you can or... just do Crocodile Rock. Make sure he gets Kiki D in there as well. I mean. <laughs> because I feel like Crocodile Rock um, was when he was at his most coked out, I think. So it would be a fitting tribute to just go. <laughs> I mean, we all know the best songs are written on drugs. So, and that's sure. you know definitely sign that Crocodile Rock. Yeah, actually, straight edge hardcore bands do have some pretty sick mosh parts. So I think that um, maybe mm. that's not factually accurate, but yeah. Um, I don't. I don't personally hate Elton generally. In no, fact, no, no, I right. kind of liked this song originally when it was just a sort of sweet little tribute to a tragic actress who died when he was a kid, mm. and then he did this to it. So he kind of ruined two songs, really. So I mean, good work, knobhead. Although I suppose at least he was actually friends with Lady Di, as opposed to. Marilyn Monroe, who he never even met. Yeah. And I guess it is worth saying that all the money from the sale of a single went to charity, which must have been a pretty happy charity because this was a UK and a US number one also. And unbelievably, this still holds the record for best-selling UK single and best-selling Billboard single of all time. Really? Yes. Fuck. This okay. was the first single ever classified diamond okay. in the US. What's that? Guess I mean, how that... many diamonds you have a crack. Jeez, um, it'd have to be 10 million? Yes. Is it? Yeah, okay. they they dropped it down from uh, like five years before. It's the start of the 90s, they dropped it down because records were selling less than they had in the, you know. The so this sold 10 million copies of the single in America? Yes. Where Princess Di isn't even yeah. really... Yes. I, I guess and, and she's no, famous. no one else. I mean, other songs have sold Diamond since, but this still has the highest one. At this point... That'll never be you, beaten. No. At this point, just to give you some fucking... Uh, some comparison, mm. gold in the US, uh, gold is 500,000 records, and platinum is one mil. So if a song's triple platinum, that's three million. Mm-hmm. So this is ten times platinum for this fucking song as you say celebrating the death of a princess in a different country using a song by an artist from a different country which was written originally 15 years earlier about a completely different person yeah yeah I mean it's crazy for sure sometimes laziness pays off I guess yeah so I guess yeah so princess die passes away and then in in America sells 10 million so they did love her weirdly but you know yeah I guess it's sort of interesting to sort of see you know those sales figures Um, I mean who would have to die to sell 10 million copies in Australia exactly Dale Summers I don't even reckon if Beyonce died and fucking Kanye West wrote a lazy remix about how great Beyonce was that would sell 10 million in America right now yeah exactly as you say I think the days of that have just passed well yeah I mean single anyway everything's streaming now so yeah I think you're right it'd be very very difficult to see anything selling 10 million copies ever again but look um, the money went to charity so that's pretty good I guess yeah for sure Uh, is a fountain in Hyde Park a fitting tribute to a dead princess? <laughs> Especially one that it's not even so much a fountain, it just seems to be kind of big low puddle type thing. Yeah, yeah. you've been there? I have, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's 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 pretty it's not very memorable, I don't think. But look, um I don't know, you gotta you gotta do something. Some true, part, you true. gotta you gotta do like a statue's pretty boring. I think look Hyde Park, I mean it's it's everyone knows what Hyde Park is and you know it's pretty Central, it's pretty famous. So to have something in Hyde Park that's yeah. found, yeah, maybe maybe it is a fitting tribute. I don't know. So it's a bit hard to tell with memorials what's going to age well and what's not. Yeah, I remember seeing a thing about the. 
I think it might be the coolest war memorial of all time. Or just, you know, I know that's a slightly morbid thing to give an award to someone. Oh, I'm no. not going to hand out a gold statuary, <laughs> but like, just personally, the, the Vietnam Wall in America, I can't remember where it is, but you know the one? It's just like yeah. a big, and it's sunk into the ground, and, and there's just little slots in it where people's names are, and it just gives you this immediate graphic impression of how many people died, you oh, know, when yeah. you see it up close. At the time when that came out, that was that was a subject of a massive outcry because it wasn't two cool-looking dudes standing on top of a big box, and the person who designed it was an Asian architect, which was you know the same outcry would be if a Muslim tried to do a 9/11 fucking memorial or something now. Yep. But yeah, but that over time has become this beloved sort of you know deeply respectful seeming memorial for. A war, but yeah, at the time people were you know hated it. So fucking who knows? Would Elton John do a single for a um, was a nine eleven <laughs> memorial if they sort of wanted to do something along those lines? Yeah, I dig something out of the back drawer, something off Yellow Brick Road, and change yeah. the lyrics. Oh, Toby. exactly. Look, a lot of martyrs <laughs> did die for for Islam in that attack. So they I guess didn't even change all the lyrics. They just changed some of the lyrics, yeah, but... a couple of them. Yep. Yeah, exactly. I don't really think Sorry. it's uh... no, no. You, you're right. You're right. Pretty weak. Uh, um, are you going to sing them for me, Tom? <laughs> uh, what have we got? Goodbye, England's Rose, which was a term I don't think anyone had ever called her. No. I mean, there's such a thing as an English rose, but don't. May you ever grow in our hearts. What What does that fucking mean? You were the grace that placed itself where lives were torn apart. I think that's a reference to her charity work, although, yeah. you know, it was more like philanthropy from a very rich person, really. You called out to a country and you whispered to those in pain, question mark. Now you belong in heaven and the stars spell out your name. I mean, there's just, that's so nauseating, really. And I, uh, But then again, I can't blame Elton for that because that's Bernie Taupin as well. I mean, you know, he was never the best lyricist in the world, but I thought he was better than that shit. Like I said, the original, the Marilyn Monroe one has a kind of element of sort of nostalgic kind of whimsy to it that this doesn't have. This is just pure fucking schmaltz you know it is yeah schmaltz. and I think you're right it sort of destroys the original song every time I hear this mm, now I just think oh it's garbage it degrades so. both of them don't go over your old shit at least try and do a sequel or something don't oh, rewrite yeah. stuff I think probably just sort of um, what you need to do is and, and you might sort of say look Princess dies, passed away. It's very difficult to just pen a, a hit single immediately. True. So what you do is you put one in the back drawer. You write this song and then you go, oh, Princess, she's <laughs> going to die one day. She'll probably die. Everyone dies. Let's throw that in the back drawer and then it, we might have to use it next year, might mm. have to use it in five years, ten years, whenever. But then when she does die, you just pull it out and everyone's like, oh, wow, that's a great song, Elton. You've done such an amazing job. And, of course, if you wrote it in 1983... And then she lives until now. All you do is you just put some Euro boots underneath <laughs> it to make it contemporary, and people are like, "Oh wow!" Well, so, I was going to say some people did suggest that, although I think they played at her tribute concert, which was another huge event, mm. but that it would have been more fitting for someone such as George Michael, who she was friends with, or Duran Duran, which were supposed to be her favourite band. Oh, really? Good. If they had done a single, because then. Oh. You know, their career is pretty much at an end anyway, really. Fuck so yeah. they could have, you know, it's sort of death or glory. And if and if 
people didn't like it, then it's, it's just Duran Duran. Who cares? You're so not you're gonna... saying that Elton sort of did this without any blessing from the from the People's <laughs> Princess? He just sort of jumped in. And went, I'll do the tribute song. I'll do it. Uh, the the single. I'm sure he they were he had blessing, and he was he was supposedly friends with her. Yeah, but um, yeah, there was a giant big public concert thing that they had that had, you know had a whole range of bands performing afterwards. But the numerous times it was said that Duran Duran was her favourite band. Fucking you know, I mean, she was a child of the late seventies, yep. early eighties, so you know. And look, you know, I think rather than Candle in the Wind, I think a lot more fitting tribute for Princess Di would have been Hungry Like the Wolf. I think that would have been yeah, great. Yeah, so, or maybe Reflex. Yeah, Girls know. on Film, one of those. <laughs> so I would have loved film. that. So Girls Just on change Film. Change the words for. Yep. Girls on, I don't know, holiday permanently because yep. that was her job. Basically. Dies on film or something, <laughs> I don't know. Dies on film. She's at a car crash, <laughs> dies on film. Something like that. Like, I think it's pretty good. Maybe, you know, you tweak it a bit, but I'm I think that could work. So. This could be a B side for the Bag of Ants song. Oh, absolutely, for sure. Um, dies on film, yeah, in the, in the next Men in Black <laughs> film, I think, as well. So, yeah. Um, yeah, look. Yeah, I don't have a lot to say about this rather no, than... No, just... there's not much else to say. I mean, it's not even an original song. Yeah. It's, yeah, exactly. So that was for six weeks. So coming up now, Tom, um, for the rest of the year, starting uh, on what date are we 16th at here? Of November. 16th of November. Um, I'm not sure what's happening here, but um, for the last part of the year in Australia at this point in time, this must be the worst three-song run so far in the <laughs> podcast, I think. Up to this point, we started in 83 up to 2000 and... Sorry, we're up to 1997. Um, I don't know, was LSD dropped in the water? Was there some sort of syphilis outbreak? Is it the BSE? Has, you know, we talked about last week, right. is Mad Cow taken over? But fucking oath. Um, <laughs> up first... <laughs> For three weeks is Aqua with Barbie Girl. <laughs> yeah. And this isn't even the worst of the next three songs I wouldn't have thought. I so. did. I worked with a girl at my previous job who swore blind that other Aqua songs were different and better mm. and that she saw them live once and the lead singer was awesome. Okay. But the only way to test that theory would be for at least one of us to listen to more Aqua. So I guess it'll have to remain a mystery, Ben. Yeah. It sounds unlikely, but she also said that the lead singer took her top off. Okay. Yeah, I didn't think they were that kind of act, but you know, sometimes live bands have a different vibe from the version you see in the music videos. You know, maybe in person, Aqua cultivate more of an underground sort of G.G. Allen style of performance. Yeah, you know? probably. Guy with the orange <laughs> frosted tips taking a dump on stage and throwing it around. Lead singer smears period blood on her cans and tries to fist fight people in the front row. You know, would that improve your opinion of Barbie Girl? Yeah, look, I think so. I think you know, maybe they're more of a subversive act, and I don't really understand sort of. You know what they're going for. I've sort of only seen the music video, and I sort of think, oh, what is this dog shit? But maybe I'm wrong. And look, Tom, you know, I don't really know because the lyrics to the songs themselves are a mystery. I mean, they might be making a statement about you know the inflated mm. value of sex appeal and attractiveness in society. You know, um, you know, abnormally tiny waists and enormous breasts, Barbie dolls are sort of unrealistically proportioned, which can lead to self-esteem and body issue images in young girls. So yeah. it could be that, or, you know, on the other hand, they might just be totally fucking pointless. I don't really know. <laughs> I don't know what Aqua are trying to do here, but were they trying to make a statement or is this just dog shit? Mm, mm. It's hard to say. Yep. It is legitimately hard to say. Yeah. I mean... Yeah. Oh, sorry, I was just going to say, look, this has all the characteristics of Eurodance. Yes. But I feel like sort of, like, 
maybe from 95 onwards, Eurodance had a slightly different vibe to it. I don't know. A little bit less La Bouche. Yeah. But look, um, it had the production team in the background, female vocals, the dude rapping, and I'm doing inverted commas here because yeah. the rapping in this is fucking so inane that it makes La Bouche's sweet dreams of rhythm and dancing, sweet dreams of passion through the night seem sophisticated, <laughs> I think. But look, apparently this was written after the group saw an exhibition on kitsch culture. No shit. Everything about this is just... I mean, yeah. yeah like you, say, you can sort of see it in the video, but they don't fully commit to it. You know yeah, what I mean? Like, yeah. There's a sort of deliberate toy-like fakeness to everything, but only up to a point. Like, none of the band really look like actual dolls, which kind of defeats the point of the whole look. Mm. I mean, not to sound shallow, but how much does a $2 shot blonde wig cost, for instance? <laughs> About yeah. $2, I'm guessing. Yeah. I, I think probably something cost. around that, yeah. But, yeah. Absolutely. And look, the absolute worst part of this, and let me let me just point out for a second that, you know, finding the worst element of this song is sort of, you know, like saying what's worse, brain cancer or Ebola, you know, it's sort of like, a you know, it's difficult to you know, sort of pull out the absolute worst bit, but it's definitely the dude sort of who's talk, <laughs> rapping or saying, come on, Bobby, let's go party yeah, throughout the song. So like, it's sort of... Just, you know, everything about it shit, but that just sort of punctuates. Yeah, sort of I just... put that up there with the guy from the Fugees last last week saying one time, one time two times, two times, just yep. dropping that randomly Come on, Bobby, let's go party. It's just, oh, it, yeah, I don't really know whether there... Are there any redeeming features about this? So. <laughs> oh, look, uh, I don't know. It kind of feels like it wants to be satire, like you say, but there's not really any secondary viewpoint other than artificiality is artificial. Like, if I put on 180 kilos and a punchable smirk, then walk around going, I'm a prime minister, I'm an unqualified, supercilious cunt. That doesn't really qualify as satire, no. you know, outside of maybe The Wedge or another mid-aughts in the Channel 9 <laughs> sketch show. I don't think that would really pass muster anymore. And that's the thing, like, you're like, well, you, could, you know, it's hard to even tell what they're saying about Barbie, like, other than that... She's, you know, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, look, Tom, but I guess one thing I need to point out is that it didn't have to be this way. It didn't have to be mm. this way at all. So what happened was this was the group's second attempt at fame. Before they came across the sort of overtly bubblegum Eurodance pop style that I guess they're renowned for, they were known as Joy Speed and released music that was different. I guess it was more subtle than this, more sophisticated, but look, that's faint praise as a song sampling someone taking a shit is more sophisticated than Barbie Girl. But it was a different type of music which can be seen on their first single, um, a cover of the children's classic Itsy Bitsy Spider. This is Joy Speed. This is Joy Speed. Oh, okay. So Joy Speed, you know, they were forward-thinking, they did an Itsy Bitsy sure. Spider um, cover. You know, it's the single, it's obviously just the nursery rhyme, and over the top, there's some Euro beats <laughs> and a dude rapping, itsy bitsy, teeny weeny, teeny little spider climbing up the wall. He's a clever little creature. He's really fast and so damn small. Teeny weeny spider. <laughs> now, that's the song that Joy Speed released. Uh, look, Tom, either the lyrics are making a statement about the inflated value of sex appeal and attractiveness in society with abnormally tiny waists and, and numerous legs. Spiders are unrealistically proportioned, which can lead to self-esteem and body issue, uh, image issues in young girls. Either that or they're totally fucking pointless. Now, I don't really know which one of that is, but look, the Danish could have stopped this time. <laughs> 
the Danish could have said, Joy Speed, you're trash. Get the fuck out of here. At what point could someone have stopped Mao during the Great Leap Forward, which led to a famine killing 30, 000, 30 million people, Tom? Mm. Or Hitler, at what point should the Danes have stopped Aqua? <laughs> they could have not bought their first single, Roses Are Red, or the follow-up, My Oh My. And maybe, just maybe, if the Danes <laughs> hadn't have purchased those songs, Aqua would not have been able to invade the rest of the world with this. <laughs> so, I don't know. Mm. I, I put the blame solely at the feet of the Danes. Yeah, they're not a country that you typically associate with war crimes, but, you know, they're definitely... Someone needs to go to the Hague for this one, for sure. <laughs> oh, without a shadow of a doubt. I mean, fucking hell. I, I listened to that Joy Speed song. It's one of the worst things I've ever heard. It's, it's absolutely <laughs> oh, I thought for a minute you were going to say, oh, they were better than Aqua, but no. No, no, I mean, someone rapping Itsy Bitsy, <laughs> Teeny Weeny, Little Spider over Eurobeats is as bad as it sounds. But yeah, look, the Danes allowed them to continue on as Aqua, released two songs, and then, yeah, look, the rest is history. Um, look, do you have anything to say about the lyrics? Um, well, the lyrics, everyone already knows the lyrics anyway. Yeah. I thought this was more interesting than the mm. lyrics. It is a quotation of sorts. Uh, after the American released this song, uh, Mattel sued Aqua on the grounds that they'd sexualized Barbie, and, oh. uh, damaged, caused damage to her image. Um, there, this is from the official court transcript of the judge's ruling. Okay, so this is the judge uh, speaking. Um, when an MCA spokeswoman, that's Mattel, uh, spokeswoman noted that each... Oh, no, sorry. So it's MCA versus Mattel. MCA are the record company. When an MCA spokeswoman noted that each album included a disclaimer saying that Barbie Girl was a social commentary that was not created or approved by the makers of the doll... The Mattel representative responded by saying, that's unacceptable, it's akin to a bank robber handing a note of apology to a teller during a heist. It neither diminishes the severity of the crime, nor does it make it legal. Then MCA filed a counterclaim for defamation based on Mattel representative's use of the words bank robber, heist, crime and theft. <laughs> but all of these are variants of the invective most often hurled at accused infringers, namely piracy. No one hearing this accusation understands intellectual property owners to be saying that infringers are nautical cutthroats with eye patches and peg legs who board galleons to plunder cargo. In context, all these terms are non-actionable rhetorical hyperbole. The parties are advised to chill. Wow. What did the court say, Tom? Well, that was Judge Alicia Silverstone from Clueless <laughs> presiding. Uh, so, you know, she's put the hammer down, the pink hammer, uh, which has been resting on the back of her small, um, fluffy dog. But, yeah, no, it, they ended up, the Mattel, you know, didn't, they weren't permitted to ban the song. They got, a, MCA got away with the, uh, uh, with the warning. Yeah, look, I think Barbie's one of those words that's probably just entered sort of common speech as sort I of like Xerox so. or something almost, yeah. is it? Like, you know, people just use it to refer to, oh, she's a Barbie doll, like someone that sort yeah. of you know, has no personality or, you know, it's, it's one of those terms that just gets bandied around. Like so an enormous number of these cases, a number of these cases, it seems to depend uh, on whether the judge 
had a good breakfast that morning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Recently broken up with their partner, or is just maybe I don't know. According to this one, smoked a doob in the car park before yeah. coming in. The yeah, morning. just went. Yeah, probably listened to the song and just went. Yeah, yeah. How about you both chill. Just... Okay, Barbie, let's go party. <laughs> yeah, that's, that sounds sweet to me. <laughs> Fucking, we need these guys to keep releasing music. All so right. three point five million for Aqua, twenty three cents um, on the Discogs. Don't. Fucking pay that much money. This is terrible. Absolutely. So up next, creating this unholy trilogy, Tom is (laughs) (laughs) Chumbawamba with Tub Thumping. Now, fucking oath. Look, we've talked about Chumbawamba briefly um, in the year of the charity songs. I think it was like Uh, eighty-five or something like that. So they've been around for a while. Yeah. Um, These guys were critical of Bob Geldof and named their first album "Pictures of Dying Children" at Cell Records. And, you know, argued uh, basically that, look, all of the things that Bob Geldof was doing with Live Aid was, you know, primarily a cosmetic spectacle designed to draw attention away from the real political causes of world hunger. So uh, the band, I guess, started as sort of a a punk rock, post-punk, sort of art punk type band, you know, sort of um, within the anarcho-communist sort of political leanings. And they championed a variety of political and social causes, including animal rights, um, anti-war, class struggle, Marxism, feminism, gay liberation, pop culture, um, anti-fascism. So they were sort of, you know, very much a, a sort of a, a punk, art punk collective sure. that sort of did a lot of work in terms of sort of, I guess, you know, looking at these social issues that in the 80s, I get, you know, sort of things that... Yep. Today we take for granted, but probably a lot more fringe, I guess, in those days. Yes. Um, so, look, Chumbawamba's second album was called Nevermind the Ballots, Here's the Rest of Your Lives, and it con- coincided with the general election and questions the validity of the d- British democratic system of the time. Mm-hmm. So they, the band adopted another name, um, Scab Aid. <laughs> and they did a, a Let It Be song release that parodied a version of the Beatles song recorded by uh, the pop superstar group Ferry Aid to raise money for um, a ferry disaster. So they were sort of always, I guess, doing things that were looking at, I guess, the hypocrisy of other sort sure. of charity things yep. and doing that and releasing various other stuff. So Jeez, they had high standards. Yeah, they did. Yeah, look, and they contributed music to a compilation album called Fuck EMI back in the eighties, <laughs> uh, sure. and were critical of the label in the past. So Tom. It was a surprise that when they signed to the label in 1997, um, people did accuse them of being hypocrites, but I'm sure their fears were laid to rest that the band would not sell out after hearing Tub Thumping Tom. So, look, uh, and look, I guess what happened was that, you know, a lot of people sort of, when when they signed this uh, agreement with EMI, you know, as is... One of those things when you've got a, sort of a, an indie sort of artist on sort of, you know, smaller labels yep. and they sign up to a major label, they always sort of quote things and say, look, it's about the message, Tom. And I think that's what Chumbawamba was saying. It's about mm. sort of, if we just sign with another indie label, we're preaching to the converted, where the message is, is just being regurgitated back to our fans. They already know the message. Our message is what's always been important. That's, you know, what we want to do. It's about sort of taking our message and getting out to as wide an audience as possible. To get that message out to the widest audience as possible, that the really important message, you need to sign to a major label because you know it exposes them to a larger audience, not just their own audience. The message can be delivered across 
such a wide yeah, range sure. of people because it's a major label. It's you can get that out there, not just the message to their current fans, people that know the message. Let's get that message out there. We want to take this really important message that that's what Chumbawamba was <laughs> saying. It's all about the message, Tom. They need to take the message and they want to get their message, Chumbawamba's message out to as many people as possible. And you know, you might be asking Tom, what exactly was that message? <laughs> he drinks a whiskey drink. He drinks a vodka drink. He drinks a lager drink. He drinks a cider drink. He drinks a drink that reminds him of the good times. He drinks a drink that reminds him of the bad times. And then someone just singing Danny Boy. Mm. So mm. Tom, it's really important they sign to a major label to get that message, that really important message out, not just to their fans, their current fans, the indie fans. That's a message you need to get out to the widest audience as possible. So I think they've really achieved their goal there. Well, I mean... Yeah, yeah. It's a pity they didn't maybe combine the getting the message out there to a larger audience with maybe actually saying something about what they supposedly stood for. But what? I, what, what do you mean? <laughs> Don't, sorry, Tom. Did you not hear me? He drinks a whiskey drink. He drinks a vodka drink. Ah, he drinks a lager drink. He drinks a cider drink. What? I missed, what is there to I not the understand? The whiskey drink. What is there not to understand? Yeah. Um, this is the first single from the album Tub Thumping. Yep. And the word tub thumping is slang for what the Yanks called stumping, which is e.g. going around trying to rally up political support with vocal appeals. Uh, the liner notes from the album have a list of clever quotations relating to each song in order to sort of contextualise them, which actually works really well. I might be biased because I'm a sucker for a good quote, but it's a clever way to put a song in context without doing that didactic singer nonsense like where on stage they preface each live song by saying, oh, I wrote this at a strange time in my life and five minutes later they're still talking and half the audience is now at the beer tent. <laughs> so, yeah, or just printing the straight-up lyrics of the song. But for the US release of the album, the record label made them remove the liner notes because they were too bolshy and they got told, you know, things like, if you want to use a Tony Blair quote, we have to contact Tony Blair and make sure he approves of the album and stuff like that. Which is not something you have to worry about in the UK, I think, because they're different laws. Yeah. But yeah, that's one of the downsides of selling out to get your music out to a bigger audience, I guess. Uh, anyway, here are some of the quotes for the song Tub Thumping. Uh, Tub Thumping is shouting to change the world, then having a drink to celebrate. It's stumbling home from your local bar when the world is ready to be put right. Uh, Don't let my unseriousness, unseriousness make you think this isn't serious. That's an anti-road protester from The Observer, January 97. Uh... It is essential to be drunk all the time, that's all, there's no other problem. If you do not want to feel the appalling weight of time which breaks your shoulders and bends you to the ground, get drunk and drunk again. What with wine, poetry or being good, please yourself, but get drunk. And if now and then, on the steps of a palace, on the green grass of a ditch, in the glum loneliness of your room, you come to your drunken state abated or dissolved. Ask the wind, ask the wave, the star, the bird, the clock. Ask all that runs away, all that groans, all that wheels, all that sings, all that speaks, what time is. And the wind, the wave, the star, the bird, the clock will tell you, it is time to get drunk. <laughs> if you do not want to be the martyred slaves of time, get drunk, always get drunk, with wine, with poetry, or with being good, as you please. That's from Baudelaire in 1866. I quite like that one. And then there's another one from Charles T. Sprading. Drunkenness, noun, a temporary but popular cure for Catholicism. So, yeah, you know, that, I like that. I think that puts the song in better context than the actual lyrics, which, as you say, are basically a list of drinks, someone else singing Danny Boy, and I get knocked down, but I get up again repeated 58,000 times in a row. Yeah, I don't know what the worst part of it is, sort of the, um, 
I drink a whiskey drink, I drink a vodka drink, or then just sort of, oh, Danny boy, Danny boy, look. I mean, I know that's a song that popularly people sing when they get drunk, but, you know. Yeah, look, it was either way too clever for me, and because I'm a fucking idiot, or it just sucks shit, so I don't know. I don't know, I don't think they made, they, they made their message clear with that one. I think they knew what they wanted it to mean, but I don't think it would have impacted with most of their audience. But I suppose you could say, well, they probably sold a shitload of albums off that and maybe the people listened to the other songs on the album which are about landlords and trade unions and all yeah. that sort of stuff. But look, you know, I do joke about them obviously selling out about the message, but certainly, um, look, they, they did stay the course, not musically. I think musically they changed quite a lot from sort of their earlier days to, to this, which um, I find unlistenable, to be honest, Tom. But uh, the, <laughs> sure. one of the members of the group um, made an, an appearance on an American television show to promote the album, and during the interview she encouraged people who were unable to afford the album to steal it. <laughs> just said, just steal it. If you can't afford it, just take it, go into H&M or Virgin and steal it. And her statement led to several music retailers um, not putting it on the shelves. If you wanted it, you had to go up to the counter and request... Uh, Chumbawamba from behind the counter to buy it and I assume nobody wanted to go up to the counter and say I need some Chumbawamba so it probably didn't sell many after that um, so yeah look and they, they did do some sort of wacky stuff over the years when Jason Donovan um, took the Face magazine to court in the UK for claiming that he was lying by denying he was gay so he did an interview for the magazine oh, okay. I think he said he wasn't gay. Yep. They said, you're lying. So he sued them. Chumbawamba responded by printing up hundreds of Jason Donovan queer as fuck t-shirts <laughs> and giving them away. So, I mean, obviously they're, they're pranksters. Sure, sure. Can you do that these days? Can you do? Can you sort of print up a... I honestly don't know if that counts as homophobic. Well, I think not. it does. So I think it is. So, But I don't know if anyone in the band is also gay. That might have been their idea or yeah, something. Yeah, I don't know. They're, they're quote, they're pranksters. Sure. It may be uh, untoward, I don't know. But look, they're obviously playing a few jokes over the years. Look, 1.5 million listeners on Spotify. That's way too many for me. Um, <laughs> sure. Two cents for this. Um, I don't know. So look, I think one thing I want to point out, Tom, is that when you do do what they had done for their entire career, which is obviously champion worthy causes. Yes. They did a lot of things to sort of support people um, through their music that may not have got support from the mainstream or other parts of the music industry. Um, so so you have to commend them on that and say that's pretty good. But I think that all of that goodwill was definitely undone by this song for me. <laughs> so Yeah, if they hadn't gone on to EMI, then I would have said, well, Unlike Aqua, I'd let him use what legal experts call the mm, 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 mm defence. <laughs> Specifically, the, that I wouldn't have thought anybody in the band was writing this with any thought or intention that they, the song they were working on would become a massive international hit. Of course, yeah. And they were probably just fucking around. But because they did go on EMI, and this was the first single off their first album on this big international label, maybe they were trying to make... A pop hit so you know it is a bit hard I mean I suppose you could say well by today's standard it's not like it's about telling people to buy your brand of celebrity vodka or something yeah exactly <laughs> yeah anyway Look, one, one thing I've always you found you just don't to... like the song I, I don't like <laughs> which it which is fine I get it, I but, get but, it. but also I'm I find that one of the um, one of the worst I don't know whether this is just me but I find one of the most obnoxious and annoying things that someone can say when they used to be in like a punk band or sort of like some yep. sort of underground band is the 
the punkest thing you can do is to write a pop song. I just always find that <laughs> to be super yeah. like, like, cause we're punk. So everyone expects us to be mm. punk. So the punkest thing to do is to do what yeah. people don't expect us to do. So we write a really mainstream catchy pop song and that's super punk yeah. because people wouldn't expect us as punks to do that. And it's just sort of awful. lot of people yeah, I, I know who used to be progressive seem to, suddenly agree the minute that they turn middle-aged that the punkest thing they could possibly do was to suddenly be a conservative <laughs> fucking people reactionary wouldn't, People wouldn't expect me to be no a reactionary. No one's going to expect me of all people to start telling kids to get off my lawn. <laughs> you know, so I guess the punkest thing you can do is uh, support the status quo and make sure Rupert Murdoch gets tax breaks, I guess. Yeah, look, the punkest thing you can do is write a pop song, I guess, um, according to a lot of people, <laughs> and, you know, myself. I think the punkest thing you can do is to um, remake The Legend of Bag Vance in your own time, Tom, <laughs> and then provide your own hip-hop soundtrack to it, which is what we're sure. going to plan to do. We're going to get a Kickstarter happening, um, and that's <laughs> and our plan. And we refuse to sell out to EMI. We, we will not. That, unless they offer us some money. That soundtrack will be released on our own label, I think, so... Um, <laughs> Work the Shaft Records, I think. <laughs> so um, very, very popular tracks coming on that. So we've had... Um, so what was that? I said the whole... There was going to be the, the worst three song... Yeah, sort of collection of all time. You left a candle in the wind out of Oh, that. God. I would have gone at least yeah, four. four but yes, four. I see what you mean. Okay, sorry, we're, Tom. We're sorry. Ending, no, so, we're ending the year on a horrible three-hit combo. Three-hit combo for the end of the year. So we had Aqua with Barbie Girl. Then Cow. we had Chumba Wumba. Should I, I just want to wow. point out real quick as well that Chumba Wumba, um, one of the other things that annoy me about this is that a friend of mine had like a like a, a PlayStation, probably the original PlayStation at this stage. Don't think PlayStation 2 was out yet. Like a soccer game. Oh, yeah. Remember I went around there one like uh, weekend or something and having a few beers and playing this game. And this was the title music. Oh, so whenever God. you'd finish playing and you'd put the, you know, you'd go <laughs> take a piss or, you know, you'd get another beer from the fridge or you'd just stop playing for a bit just to talk to people or whatever. Probably it was at a party. It would just be this. I get knocked down, but but it would just play like a fifteen second oh, loop, like and then the it would DVD, yeah, and then it would just keep playing oh, over and over course. until someone played the game, and I just remember <laughs> sort of like being at my friend's house and just be, and you just hear I get knocked down for like fifteen seconds, for, you know, over and over and over, um, and yeah, it's pretty annoying. So look, it's pretty bad. Oh, terrible! Ter- I can only imagine if you know someone was like making out in like in the next room or something, oh, and it was just they had to hear that over and over and over again. It's sort of not you know very sexy soundtrack so uh so yeah look we've got barbie girl aqua boom mm-hmm. chumbawamba tub thumping and to end the year tom aqua again dr jones for seven weeks i honestly had forgotten they had another hit oh yeah they've got this one yeah. uh look completely unholy trilogy obviously aqua again so yes the worst three song run so far is an aqua sandwich with a filling of Chumba Wumba. Now, that's not a diet I'd recommend to anyone. Fucking hell. Sounds like something the Poison's information center could give people in case they drank Drano and needed to make people throw up immediately. I don't know whether the World Health Organization have declared that carcinogenic, Tom, (laughs) but I assume they will at some stage, because Jesus Christ. Now, look, the question is, what is the better song? Is it this... Or is it Barbie Girl? It's sort of like asking, is it better to be shot out of a cannon into a volcano or just to contract sort of a serious sort of disease? I suppose, technically, you could maybe say that with Barbie Girl that it's deliberately shit on purpose, 
Although, I mean, good luck using that excuse at your fucking is that job. The, is that the sort of, <laughs> is that the room sort of, uh, <laughs> the Tommy yeah. Wiseau sort well, of... Or because it sort of suits Barbie, but then you get to this song and you're like, oh no, this is just what they sound like. Like, yeah. this is their sound. This has got nothing to do with plastic Barbie toys or anything. This just, yeah. Now, I think this is a reference to Indiana Jones, Tom. Oh, so they love pop culture. They've but they so don't far. like Indiana Jones much, apparently, because they did this to him. Yeah, they absolutely shat on him. So, look, we've got this. We've got Barbie Girl. We've got an incy wincy spider rap. These guys suck shit. Look, um, wow. yeah, so I don't really know what to say about this. If you don't know the song, it's just another, like, low sort of tier Eurobeat sort of thing yeah. where she's just talking about Dr. Jones. So look, the song is about a boy and a girl apparently who fall in love on holiday, then separate. So she goes to the doctor to cure her love. Uh, quote from the band, it's very silly, but also funny. Um, silly, but funny is one way you could describe it, Tom. Another way you could describe it is just total fucking horseshit. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not I mean, really sure. Monty Python is silly but funny. This is more, yes, like total fucking bullshit. Also, even that piss week one sentence storyline that she's opted for there yep. doesn't show up in the song. That's no. not what you would get from reading this song. It fails to even supply that one sentence worth of song structure. But, yeah. Yep. What I can say is the guy that does the, okay, Barbie, let's go party. I think his role has sort of been diminished in this song a bit, <laughs> which is the only positive I can say sure. because, um, yeah, that sucks. Mm. So, look, um, look, are there any lyrical highlights to this? Is there anything you can say about this that you want to sort of bring uh, up? Lyrics are things like... What's the, sorry, yeah. <laughs> you no, I was just going to say, um, what was it? <laughs> <laughs> um, lyrical spotlight. Yeah. Uh, things like, come back and stay. I think about you every day. I really want you to. Dr. Jones, Jones, calling Dr. Jones, Dr. Jones, Dr. Jones, get up now. Wake up now. He oh, repeats yeah. that a dozen times throughout the song. Obviously, he read these lyrics at an early date and fell into a coma from which the only escape is the sweet release of euthanasia. But on the plus side, he won't have to hear this song again. No, absolutely not. That's right. Look, Tom, pound for pound, who is the better artist? Do you think Aqua or the Venga Boys? Oh, my God, that is tough. Yep. That's tough. I mean, at least the Venga Boys had the Venga bus. They did have the Venga bus. Um, mm. And they also had boom, 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 boom. <laughs> I want you in my room. And we have discussed the ultimate number of booms uh, yeah. before, I think. So it, look, was, it was prime numbers. Yeah, exactly. So, look... Um, Though the, the thing, the reason I bring out the Venga Boys uh, is that they are a very similar era to Aqua, but yes. unfortunately, um, both of those songs uh, we like we like to party bracket the Venga Bus end quote end bracket sorry and boom 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 they only make it to number two so we don't get the chance to talk about any of those songs. Oh, it's a pity, which is unfortunate. They offer so, yeah. a wealth of lyrical material. Anyone you'd like to nominate Tom oh, for? Yeah. I was just had this brought to my attention recently by Ross. I'd forgotten this one. Yep. Uh, this was a 1993 song by a band called Melody MC. <laughs> yeah. Uh, with their song Dum Da Dum. Dum which, Dum Da Dum Da Dum. I mean, in theory, that sounds even stupider than Dr. Jones, but 
and I realize I'm four years late or 30, depending on how you look at it, but it is an absolute banger. It really is, yep. like, by the standards. It's got all the Eurodance ingredients. Yeah, it does. Mystery woman who may or may not be singing mouthing lyrics. Yep. Weird guy with a flavor saver and a backwards hat up the back, <laughs> dropping some fat, you know, Netherlands ESL <laughs> rhymes. But damn, it is catchy. Like, yep. it is very catchy. Whereas this doesn't even really qualify on that. I mean, this is less catchy than Barbie Girl. It's just bollocks. Yeah, look, exactly, Tom. And I think that um, when we talk about sort of post-1994, 1995, any sort of artist that comes along at that time is fitting into that sort of post-grunge territory. I think that sort of by this time we're into uh, post-Eurobeats territory, where I find yeah, that while these, while these bands are certainly still embracing the Eurobeats on some level, that doesn't have the heart and soul of the original no. Eurobeats artists. So. No, the real thematic depth that they brought to songs like Riding the Night, <laughs> Right Correct. on Time. And right on Time, exactly. You know, you, <laughs> yeah, you listen you to Right on Time. copies like S Club 7 and Eiffel yeah. 65, you know. Like. Exactly. So I think this fits into that category where, I mean, you go and listen to Dr. Jones and you go and listen to, you know, top tier Eurobeats like Be My Lover by Labouche or something <laughs> like that. Even Melody MC, mm. um, Ice MC, check that out as well sure. if you want. Alice DJ fits into that sort of post sort of era. So listen to some of these songs and I think you'll see that, you know, they do sound a little bit different. Oh, so. absolutely. Yep. Dr. Jones is certainly no AV logic. Watch out for the hit. <laughs> absolutely yeah. not. Absolutely. So for sure, look, um, AV logic, uh, I wish we got to talk more about him. But the Hitman is a, is uh, a variable I, classic. I, I so. was kind of hoping you might get up the top, but I'm guessing you didn't crack I don't the think top so, but look, um, he did get radio play. We did, yeah, did hear that. I think time. in the 90s rap time, we'll have to bring up AV logic. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, there needs to be a full Eurobeat section in there, I think, because we definitely haven't talked about it enough. Um, so, 16 cents for this one. From Aqua, so what? Far too so what was that? Oh, so Barbie Girl was twenty three cents. So you can get this. So yeah, I guess forty cents for both. Yeah. I guess you know if you're gonna get one, you're gonna get the other. I guess, but I wouldn't bother with either. Um, do you have anything more to say about Aqua no, or Doctor Jones? No, I certainly Jones? don't. I'm surprised I managed that much to be honest. Yeah, look, that sucked, and unfortunately, um, seven weeks. Fucking hell! I and know. then it was also. And what three weeks for Barbie Girl? That's ten weeks. That's a long time. So people in 1997, we get a lot of aqua in their lives. Um, so yeah, look, that was pretty shitty. Songs that peaked at number two this year: um, "Breaking My Stride" by Unique Two. Oh jeez. Was there a unique one? I don't really know. I finally found someone by Barbara Streisand and Brian Adams. Oh Christ! Thank God so, we didn't have to talk about that. Thank Good Lord. Oh fucking oath! Like, Brian Adams has just been soundtrack. I assume is that from a soundtrack? I assume it is probably because you know. Yep. Like fucking oath, yeah. That dude, his his song has got worse and worse. Breathe by the Prodigy. Yeah, I mean, then you can see this is what dance music actually was by this point. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Whereas fucking Aqua and Doctor Jones are playing to sixteen year olds in the kind of nightclubs that let sixteen year olds in. Yeah, so that I mean that's interesting. I think that that song, you know, what I would consider to be a legitimate sort of song that people yeah. would listen to um, as a dance as not a not a dance pop song but just as sort of an actual sort of yeah I mean even the Prodigy had been around for you know eight years by this point and um, yeah yeah exactly so I mean that got very very close um, last night by as yet a Z E T to become one by Spice Girls um, <laughs> Burn Tina Arena Bitch by um, Meredith Brooks I'm remember that classic yep um, where is the love oh. and I will come to you by Hanson so, so they so, did yeah. have a couple of you know 
Nope, follow up. Hanson almost hits, had hits. three number ones, but yeah, absolutely. Yeah, thank so. God. I don't remember either of those songs. No, for sure. So, uh, One More Time by Real McCoy, one of my top tier Eurobeats <laughs> acts. I uh, made it to number oh, three. Oh, Pony by Genuine. That still gets yeah, played. That was brought back by uh, Magic Mike. A couple of appears <laughs> in both. That's just perfect stripper song, that one. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's uh, a unisex stripper one that could be either genre. Yeah. Um, Do You Think I'm Sexy by Entrance. Um, we don't need to really talk oh, about on that. On Vogue so. one more time. Did you just say that? Oh, no, I haven't. But yeah. That's another classic. Um, oh, sorry. Don't Let Go by Elmberg and One More Time by Real McCoy. Oh, yeah. Oh, so much Eurodance. It's all everywhere. Absolutely right. So it's pretty good. And then other hits, um, Even When I'm Sleeping by Leonardo's Bride. Do you remember that? Oh, it's terrible. Yeah. Um, Everybody, Backstreet's Back by oh, the Backstreet Boys. How was that number four? Come I can't on. believe that, yeah. I man. would put that for my vote, my vote for best boy band song of all time. Yeah, it's pretty good, it definitely. It still fucking kicks ass, that song. Yep. Song 2 by Blur. Woohoo. Don't, don't make me hear that ever again. Woohoo. <laughs> <laughs> number four. Blood on the Dance Floor by Michael Jackson. There uh-huh. you go. Um, and then, oh, look, there's some other bullshit. I'm not going to read all of these, but... Uh, nice by Wigfield. Jesus, <laughs> I forgot the Wigfield story. Oh, that's right. Madonna was in that fucking Eva Perron yeah. musical and didn't release that. Oh, Semi-Charmed Life by Third Eye Blind. Oh, the best song Jesus about Christ. boning a chick on meth. <laughs> uh, God, I'd forgotten this one. Janet Jackson featuring Q-Tip and Joni Mitchell. Yep. The end is the beginning of the end, yeah. Oh, no, that's sorry. That's, Which is uh, like a cover. Yep. Of... Oh, no, sorry. So that's right. the next Got one by Smashing gone. Pumpkins. Yeah, yep. Which is a cover. Yep. Mo Money, Mo Problems by the Notorious B.I.G. R.I.P. from Beyond the Grave. Yep. Already did. Featuring Puff Daddy and then Loveful by the Cardigans. Oh, okay. That was a big hit. I think that on... Triple J used to play that all the fucking time. And they had a song on... Um, I think it was on the Romeo and Juliet soundtrack as well. So oh, they had more no than doubt. one song. Was, anyway, Absolutely. what am I talking about? Now I'm just trapping them. So look, great. A lot of hits there that didn't quite make it to number one. But look, mm. isn't that the case? Often, you know, the, the ones that, that don't quite make it are better than the ones we... We're, we're forced to talk about, Tom. The Aria <laughs> charts dictates what we talk about. Um, look, if it wasn't for what the Aria... I wouldn't have done that rap, that, you know, <laughs> Legend of Bag of Ants yes. rap. It was, the, it was the Aria charts that forced me to do that, okay? So, oh, hang on. Ben, sorry, yep. that my 16-year-old secretary is just coming in. It appears that that's gone viral. <laughs> 12 year old, 12 year old be, kids everywhere. You're going to be a it. star. Absolutely. So look, um, thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with 1998. Um, look, I can't. I, I'm not going to give anything away, but what I will say is that there's um, a solid five more weeks of Aqua next week. Um, so I'll try and think of some more things to say about Aqua or we can just completely move on from that and go, on, oh, Jesus, the fuck. Oh, I'm, al- I'm looking, at, I'm already cringing at how bad stop, next weekend. So <laughs> apologies. Pl- no, they're all great songs. Everyone, please listen. It's going to be amazing. So thanks a lot. All right. Peace out. Bye. Bye. Bye.